Welcome to another episode of Season 3 of the Panjway Podcast. As usual, you can find our episodes on YouTube, Facebook, and your favorite podcast platform, whether that's Spotify or Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, you pick it, we're there. If you want to support the podcast financially, we've set up a few ways for you to do so this season. You can become a patron by hopping over to patreon.com slash the Panjway Podcast and sign up for a small monthly donation. If you want to make a one-time donation, you can find us on Venmo at the Panjway Podcast. And last but not least, we've got a small selection of merchandise in our store. So if you head over to thepanjoypodcast.com and click on the store tab, you'll see stickers and other merchandise and who knows what might come down the pipeline. All that I can hope is you take me with you when you go. I guess I should have known I can't leave with you when you go. They had a thing a while back where it was like you entered some kind of contest and you could get a, a free year of beer. And I was talking with a couple of my cousin and our buddy and I was like, how much is that really? Because how much beer can you like a free year of beer for me? Is That's not the same a, for quite everybody. A few. Yeah, yeah, it ain't the same. <laughs> Turns out it was up to $500. It's like, that's like three months of beer. Maybe not even that. That's nothing. That's how many, how many, what? You can get a 30 pack of Coors over like 20, here for $21. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So let me run uh, the math on. I don't, I'm going to math in public here. It's 27 yeah. out here in the real world. Which is 30 bucks. for 30 and call it even. So that's 30, 30 bucks. 30 bucks. Yeah. Dollar a beer. 500 beers. More expensive in bottles, but I've never, they only have the stubbies for the Coors, the banquet beer. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But if you want that real Coors, you got it. It's always in the cans. Oh, I'm a can man. I, got, yeah. I have my preferences. It's cans for sure. Yeah, I like I like mine with some metal too. It's good. Oh yeah, it seems fresher. It is. Really it does the, seem fresher, but I get, I don't know. Like I like the little bottles, like the mini bottles. There's just some sort of like nostalgia. I don't know. Nostalgia the is the right word. Like novelty. The novelty. There's yeah. novelty to the. the There's Coors only mini a few bottles. people doing those stubby bottles too. There's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like red, red stripe, stripe and Coors, that's it. Red stripe. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. I have not had a red stripe. Hooray forever, beer. Yeah. Yeah, that's because their ad uh, campaign has gone downhill. We had red stripe yeah. and then who? I want to say that you got the weird uh, banquet beer bottles. They're like the fluted, not banquet beer, uh, champagne of beers, High Life. Oh, MGDs oh, or yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, High Life, Miller High Lifes. Yeah. yeah. And then the but the stubbies has always kind of been I've seen Miller Lite stubbies before. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, but I, have I think too. It, I think it really just stays with Coors. They kind of unless yeah, you're drinking kinda... Mickey's. Mickey's. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what I I'll drink Coors Banquet. Uh, my favorite way to my favorite beer ever period. It's a course banquet in the screw top golden bullet oh, uh, yeah. sixteen ounce cans. Yes. Oh yeah. Man. 
Yeah. Fan fucking tastic. And they're always fresh for some Have like reason. a baseball uh-huh. game or something. They yeah, do that yeah. so you can't throw mm. them at anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the Cheyenne Rodeo, there's always some dudes out hawking screw top cords, cores, uh, <laughs> bottles. That's a good time. Well, Miller Lite, they they went to some sort of weird ad campaign. And then I'm a Miller Lite person, whatever. But then they mm-hmm. went back to this, right? Yeah. And I remember telling somebody that's not going to be a, a temporary thing. People like that. And now they're that's a good beer again. People want to drink Miller Lite again. But when they were having like geometric shapes and robots and stuff no that no one wanted to buy that <laughs> oh, yeah, no. i forgot about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it totally it looked like a it looked like a graphic on, on like a, like on a sports broadcast or some shit and so then they went back to this and mm. like, that's go gonna classic. stick man oh it looks i sharp. wonder because miller got bought out by coors yeah um so it's really? coors miller is the company now they're kind of they really bought out they kind of merged miller into coors. one entity in colorado brood only yeah. golden colorado so good I got to send you guys, I'm going to, when we're done with this, I'll try to get your, like a mailing address for you. I want to send you guys some of these koozies. Fuck yeah. Oh, hell yeah. We have like platoon koozies koozies. from my old platoon. Oh, really? Look like the Slayer logo. And then the back says, I might, I might not be an operator, but at least I'm not a pogue. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. Oh man, that is is great. (laughs) Yeah, yeah so t-shirts, we, hats. Maybe we uh, one last merch run is to throw up. <laughs> yeah, uh, throw up the coos. Re- well, that was re- a big deal. Like, so I started working there, and our logo. We were the savages. So our logo. What do you think? What do you think it was? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And so I was like, yeah. no, we're not doing that. I don't. We don't have any Can't Native that. Americans that I know of. But still, like, this yeah. is freaking stupid. So like, part of changing <laughs> the culture, I asked the guy. I said, hey, can you draw me the Slayer logo? But can you do it with? It's like, yeah, we can do that. And a lot of people were super bummed out because it's like satanic, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Oh, really? And so, yeah. so, but the other guys were like, no, this is awesome. So they bought like a goat head and like a bunch nice. of weird, like a fake goat head. Yeah. And candles <laughs> and like we had a shrine and like the whole deal, dude. It was wild. Maybe what we'll do is like we'll make like a, a coos defend spare one on the front with like the goat head. And then on the back have the we may not be operators, but at least we're not pogues. One oh, last final push for the You should merch. do it, man. Take that. Put it on some of your Panjway stuff, man. It's good. Fuck yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's a good message for the kids. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's, so a, that's a pretty uh, good lead in right there. That is. Uh, that's exactly where I was about to drop in. So yeah. we're chatting. So we we've we've, <laughs> we've managed to, to talk with a whole bunch of people in the Panjway sphere. We've talked to people who were before us at the same time as us, but we have yet to talk to anybody from Bravo Company 138, which is the unit that we handed off Spare One Gar to when we joyfully exited in December of 2012. <laughs> uh, we're sitting here with Kyle Chatton, uh, who was in Bravo 138, uh, and he's here to talk about their experiences there and also to talk about some of the commonalities that we have uh kyle's also worked on a uh, media production about his deployment and so i think we're gonna have a lot to to talk about and have in common so yeah yep and uh he has the the distinguish he has the distinction of being the dude that i swore was their first kia uh, (laughs) when you guys were ripping out with us so yeah it was a good story to start it off with is that we were setting up on the roof of compound it was our second rip patrol 
maybe the first? I think it no, was the first. it wasn't our first. I it was actually, it was... I think, our second to last. Mm. It was close no, to the last No, it was one. early. It, was, it might have been I there. I thought it like, was the first, first one because I think we were it, the first I think oh, it was okay. the early. Okay. Yeah. So we were out there and um, getting spotted by a dude. It's a classic situation. Had the dude in the crosshairs trying to get permission to engage the spotter. Didn't get permission in time. They ducked down and like clockwork, oh homie rolls up with an AK and squeezes off around. And Kyle was about 50, not even 50 feet. You're about 20 meters in front of me. And I was sitting at the top of the stair. I had the goo- I, I, we knew it was coming, so I had the Gustav open. I had my rounds ready, and I was ready to roll. I was just sitting there waiting on it to kick off. And you like started to shift your position. You were in the prone. And you went and like, kind of pushed yourself up, and that first vol- uh, salvo from the AK opens up, and the round hits right in front of your face, like kicking dirt, like up onto your face. And the fir- and you dropped like a sack of taters. And I thought, <laughs> they've been here 24 hours, and somebody's already gotten killed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that yeah, that was I, my memory when we ch- when we chatted and I made that connection. That was uh, yeah, that was pretty wild. Yeah, I was trying and to figure out. That how still stands out as my favorite mission. Uh, I think of the entire. Department. That was a good one. Good. It was a good time. Win. Yeah. Other than Kyle almost getting domed, that was a good. That's a good fight. He's not the only yeah, one. Yeah, that got was domed. unfortunate. <laughs> I told you I had that. Yeah, Curtis almost got zapped because it was one of those wavy roofs. Yeah, exactly. So we had kind of you know, and I remember. You got somebody from your group was like, yeah, it's coming. And I'm like, and I'm like what's good? We just got here. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think it was me. One of the kids, it was his first patrol ever. He got a CIB on his first patrol ever. Wow. That's the One of our Minehound kids, Glassy. But you guys said it was coming. And then I remember, I like, I, yeah, like you said, Luke, I like looked up over the edge and then boom. And then I r- fell funny and I had all that spray paint in my pocket. Yeah. And it started spraying all over my leg. So one of your guys was like, dude, did you are you shot or is that spray paint? And I was like, I think it's spray paint. <laughs> oh man. You were up like, there oh, next to that, that was That's yeah, who I think that's who it was. It was Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pfeiffer was a fucking nut job, man. Good good. Because he job, was saying though. crazy Still stuff is. the whole time we were up there. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, oh, man. None of that appropriate yeah, that, for that a was, podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So that was a good welcome to Panjway for you guys. But before we die, take the deep dive into Panjway, Kyle, the, the way we usually kick these things off is, you know, give us the kind of, you're still in the military, but give us the kind of spiel of like how you ended up in the army, why you chose the infantry and like previous deployments and like how you ended up in Panjway. Um, <clears throat> so I joined the the army in 2009. Uh, prior to that, I worked just a bunch of weird, odd jobs, everything from, I did a little bit of commercial fishing. I worked in a casino. Um, my mom fired me from our family plumbing company. Um, <laughs> did you and, commercial uh, fish in Alaska? You know, I, yeah. Oh, cool. um, I never, we'll never did crab. Yeah, yeah. I never <laughs> did crab. I know everybody always asks me, did you crab? No, I didn't. Um, mm. And then, uh, you know, I ended up doing the media stuff, got fired from something or I just had a hard time. It was a hard time. It was a hard time for me holding down a job, I think. Mm. Uh, got laid off or fired or whatever. And I'd always kind of wanted to join the army. So I was like, you know, I'll go in there. It's kind of an impulsive thing. Talk to them. Uh, I think the infantry thing just kind of happened. I don't remember particularly why I picked it. Uh, it was a huge misunderstanding on my part, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so... You're standing on the rocks at 30th AG and you're like, oh, I've, 
I've made a grave mistake. Wow. 30th AG. 30th AG. Season up over here. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting on those wood terminology I haven't heard in a long you know? time. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I it I, it kind of happened to me. Um, got into, again, you know, I was still trying to figure it out. So I got into the army, had a little trouble early on, you know, abbreviate all that. I ended up in Germany <clears throat> and uh, deployed to similar area to where I was on the deployment, you know, we're leaving you guys, but um, predominantly in Kandahar area, um, mm -hmm. the first tour, and then PCS to Lewis, and we were there about a year, I think, maybe, uh, and mm -hmm. we headed out to, to Panjway. So two Afghanistan deployments. Mm -hmm. And what was that back. first one like in terms of like the mission, the mission set that you were doing and the areas that you were, you were visiting? Um, so I was on the again, well, it was the same type of deal. We had strikers, but we didn't use them. Like I, mm -hmm. I rarely, at least the elements I was with, we were in the mountains, um, probably like 30 kilometers away from this place called Kalat, which is like okay. a big castle there and everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so we were out in the mountains. And so there's a lot of just randomly walking up hills. I don't remember why. There's a lot. I was also a Joe, but there's a lot of yeah. like, hey, walk up this mountain and see what's on top of this mountain for no goddamn reason so mm -hmm. I, we did that a lot and i remember thinking if i get shot on the side of this mountain i'm just gonna like tumble all the way down <laughs> to the bottom a 600 foot uh 600 foot drop oh yeah it was mindless it's a pretty was uh, no reason it's a pretty spicy pretty kinetic like what was the what was the the up tempo like like what was that like for you guys um i i think it it had its moments, but I think that the comp, like just the comedy of errors and having the perspective now, having been a platoon star or whatever else, I look back on it, that highly outweighed. So when we did have kinetic moments, they were, they were pretty gnarly. Like we, had, we had, yeah, we had one big ambush that happened early on. Um, and then, you know, I, we got blown up a bunch of times, um, but nothing super crazy. You know what I mean? Nothing, nothing like Panjaway was. It was very, um, it wasn't quite as in your face and the IED threat was yeah. like, it was there, but it wasn't your main concern. Yeah. Um, but some of the, I think some of the weird stuff that happened, like we had a platoon sergeant get relieved for faking a medevac. Um, weird <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. That's a new one. <laughs> no, he, okay. you had, you had mid tour leave back then. Yeah. Yeah. So as soon as you landed, they started sending people home like a month yeah. in. So there mm -hmm. were dudes who like, did that first month of mid tour and then the whole time you know they were doing like 12 straight months or whatever right you know um but people started to miss it we couldn't get ring route flights to get our mail to get like anything because we're in the mountains there's no way to get there other by mm. than by helicopter mm. um and i'm not going to do his accent or say his name because everyone will know exactly who it is if i say <laughs> if i do that but he had a very distinct accent, but he's, you know, one day he's sick of it. He's sick of us not getting flights and missing these. Cause every time you go on mid tour leave, that's like a month you're gone. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good chunk of time. Cause it only takes you, it's two weeks of leave, but it takes you like a week to get out and a week to get back. Yeah. Right. If you're lucky. Yeah. So, I mean, you probably went through that in, in Iraq, Luke, same. We did. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. So he, <clears throat> he couldn't get flights, but the Dynacor birds would come mm. for the two contractors. And so if you put, troops on those now they're a combatant so they can't take troops unless it's an emergency so he gets he hears it's coming he's like everyone hey package your shit up get down on the flight line and this kid's like hey you know we can't do and he's like i think he like hit one dude he's like lay down you're a casualty 
And like, <laughs> they loaded yeah. this dude up. Their story, I'm telling you. And then, of course, they get, you know, everyone's there to receive a casualty and there's no, there's no casualties. It's just these two dudes. Yeah. Just Huey, oh, Huey and man. Father Batiste wandering off the, the bird. Like, hey, we're ready for leave. You know? <laughs> wow. And I swear that nobody, like I don't tell some of those stories because they're so outrageous that I know. But I have other yeah. people that have finally, like we had another guy that deployed with me that was in my current unit. It's like, no, that was, that was a real deal. Yeah. So a lot I of mean, that kind of stuff. That's a good, that's a good two-start move, you know? Yeah, wow, he, really? they couldn't get a, we couldn't get a flight out, but they flew out to relieve him the next day. I'll tell you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> they, they relieved yeah. him the next day. I'm pretty, I'm pretty positive. Oh man, he, he got motherfucked by the system just looking wow. after his guys. Then. Yeah, he's a sergeant major now. He's fine. Okay, that's good. But yeah, so that, <laughs> that deployment was, it had, it had its kinetic moments, but it was, I, you know, no big deal. Like, like I said, you know, some IED stuff here and there, but it was, wasn't right. quite so in your face. It was far away. Yeah, I think that's the weird thing, like the big differentiating factor between the fight in the mountains versus like what we did in Panjway. It was the distance is a big component. And then like the, the, it seemed like the guys in the mountains, it'd be like three months of nothing. And then one day there's like 40 dudes out there and you're fighting all fucking day long. The versus for us, it was like four dudes and you fight for 30 minutes, you know, but it was more frequent. So I don't, seems to be the big distinguishing differentiation between the two fights and the ieds too yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. the ieds like i'm not going to get into that but (laughs) i would say that you know there's some dude in the mountains in the mountain areas they shoot at you and i mean unless you have even if you have like a boomerang or something like you're just like i have zero idea where that came from yeah and i'm not going to get any idea and then in panjaway it's like i you can see the people that are shooting at you that was You know, definitely something I had encountered before, but never like every time. You're like, dude, it, that you can see him, you know? Yeah. Right. He's 40 feet away. <laughs> yeah. At the oh, very yeah. least, you can see his muzzle flash. You can you can tell where his fighting position mm-hmm. is. Yeah, that was definitely yeah. different. And I was trying to explain that to people because we had a lot of I- Iraq vets. Mm. And I remember trying to tell them like, yo, dude, I don't, I don't know what you had going on over there. I don't know what time you were there, but Afghanistan, these dudes are ready. Like they... They're ready to come out and and be right up on you when they fight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I imagine you guys were there in the wintertime too, so like all the foliage and stuff like that had died off. Like I'd imagine it's a lot easier to see dudes moving and running around. And oh, yeah. Like point. for us, if we got hit from a tree line, there's just a green wall that we yeah, dumped magazines into, you know. But for you guys, like with, no, with all that foliage gone and everything, I'd imagine you saw quite a bit of the enemy. Yeah, it, it got cold quick after you guys left. Yeah. You guys were gone, and then, yeah, all the weed fields, they took them all down. They're just kind of drying out. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. you could you could see. You could see everybody. Wow, yeah. I, there, every story that I've heard from every different – because obviously I wasn't there for everything, but um, it was like, yeah, I saw that dude, man. I knew, like, guys knew they shot guys or do it. And a lot of times, you know, people ask, you shooting me? But, well, I shot at a lot of people. Yeah. But I, I don't know what happened to them when I shot in their general direction. But, <laughs> yeah. Right. On this yeah. one, they, there was definitely a lot of like, you could just see it because they were right there, you know? Yeah. I saw a great meme yesterday. It was like a, a father holding like his daughter on his lap and his kid, his boy was playing on the floor. And the daughter's like, Daddy, did you kill anybody in the war on terror? He goes, Well, you know, I shot at a lot of people and I saw some bread trails and the little boy's like, Just say no. <laughs> <laughs> just say no. <laughs> It's Not funny me. how many people will just ask, randomly ask you that. 
you ever kill anybody? Yeah, like, they do that. You know, I know, I, I know guys maybe. that don't even like. I've asked a buddy. I think a buddy and I were drinking, and the guy that's in the military, I asked him that. He's like, "Don't ask me that." It's like, okay. You know, so sometimes people are sensitive, even amongst us. You know. Yeah. Right. My so theory is that if the, if it's a don't ask me that, it's like no, no confirmed kills. Because if you yeah. ask a, a true infantryman, you ever kill him? But fuck yeah, I do this one time. I smoked this guy <laughs> Dude, down to the ground. <laughs> yeah. Because that, that's what yeah, I say yeah. when people ask. But it yeah. wasn't I was an infantryman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Curtis got to watch it on video cam live from the Apache there. <laughs> All your shit on live leaks, you know? You know, yeah. I constantly check to make sure it's not. <laughs> uh, you never know. Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll delete the part about um, yeah, killing people, but whatever. Yeah, yeah that's what we're here Fuck for. Yeah, that's, it comes with the territory. Yeah. So okay, so you backtrack a little bit. So you got to JBLM in uh, 2010, right? 2011. Yeah, I think it was like 2011. I got back from my deployment in germany um and then i was i wasn't there very long i think i like went to a couple like a school or something and then they shipped me off and i ended up at fort lewis and something that'll come up with that is that me and two other guys from my first deployment all pcs to the same unit and all pcs mm. to the same company oh wow mm. so the three of us had been together in afghanistan on the first tour and then somehow got lucky enough and you guys know how how odd that is yeah to PCS, yeah, not just the same duty location, but the same company. So you mentioned that a lot of the, your guys had been to Iraq and stuff like that. And that was one of the problems that we had going in. It's like only like four dudes in the entire company to have been to Afghanistan. Was it similar for you dudes? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like there was good guys. I mean, there's guys that, you know, it doesn't really matter where you've been. Like you're either a certain type of guy or you're not. Mm -hmm. So but just that experience, like being able to level that experience of having at least been in the country. Yeah, we brought something to the fold. There, there weren't many of those that were organic to the unit that weren't newly mm -hmm. arriving people. Mm. And so everyone that was showing yeah. up, you had guys that had been with the 101st in RC East, guys that had been with 10th Mountain in, you know, wherever. Like, uh, I can never say the name. Somewhere up north. <laughs> mm. or, or then us, right? So you had all these different guys coming in with this Afghan experience. Mm. And uh, I think First Sergeant really played on that he's like hey i need you guys to start pressing into these other dudes how the how serious this is because their right. last tour not to take away from it i mean you're out there away from your family for however long but there's differences mm -hmm. oh, yeah. and uh they were in iraq and bakuba i think in prior to this and i don't think they they did a whole lot as far as fighting yeah yeah i mean much I, going I told on. you the day like my deployment to iraq i didn't even earn my cib like in, across the entire brigade there was one firefight um Sadly, we did we did lose two dudes in the company to an IED, but even that was almost a freak thing. Um, right. And then, I mean, there was like, I think one alpha company got mortared a couple of times. And by mortared, I mean like it landed 300 meters outside the walls of their cop. So for all intents and purposes, nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah, it was about the same. Like those guys were, and I remember reading articles when I was in Afghanistan the first time. I remember reading an article about how I, troops in Iraq longed for the it was like some stars and stripes thing or something like long oh, for yeah, the fight yeah. in afghanistan i'm like well they, they can come have it dude you want to come over here come on <laughs> oh dude like we were i Careful remember being for. in iraq and um when the marines were pushing into helmand and getting into sangan and like getting, oh yeah 
fucked up and we were all like well we want to go over there and be in the shit man jokes on us <laughs> yeah <laughs> well there's something to be said for and I, I talk about this with a lot of soldiers now especially having you know a platoon sergeant mm -hmm. uh, or was and you got a lot a lot of guys who have never deployed that's a common thing now yeah. so you having a cib or you having a combat patch you're the you're the odd man out at this point mm -hmm. yeah because there's not I mean, a lot I imagine of you've got left. e6s who have probably never deployed at this nope. point and i had one of one of the best E6s I've ever, you know, got to work with. I, he was one of the ones that I was kind of telling, like, you know, the the, the whole situation about like, it, it it doesn't mean anything. Like, you don't have, you don't get to leverage all that stuff against, you know, um, what's going on now. But like, so I was telling him, hey man, like I get it. If you practiced, you know, because they all look at it like, man, I never deployed, and they wear it in a weird way, almost like it's derogatory or that their opinions don't matter. Mm. Um, and I'm like, mm. listen, I know a lot of guys with CIBs that don't deserve them. Yeah, I know oh, yeah. a lot of guys with deployments that were horse crap, right? Mm. Yep. Uh, it doesn't, just because I went on a deployment doesn't make me a better, you know, it, it has its advantages, but it doesn't make me better all the time. Right. It's who you yeah. are as a person anyway. So, but I do understand had you been on a, you know, a sports team and practiced for so long and you never got to go in the game. Yeah. Right. You're going to feel some sort of way about it. And so yeah. this young guy, you know, he, they do. I know a couple guys like that that are just, God, I would have loved to have had them back when we were hooking and jabbing, mm -hmm. you know, but that's not the case anymore. So, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting too. You know, even back then, the guy, a lot of the guys that were like that, and I'm not mm -hmm. saying your guys are like this, but a lot of guys that were like that, they were the first ones to crumple under pressure. You know, they were boisterous like i can't wait to get out there and fuck up the taliban they ain't seen me yet and then like first bullets pass in their fucking fetal position behind the wall like you gonna you gonna you shoot a lot back of or, professional no? tough guys go go weak in the knees man when some of that stuff happens and yeah. sometimes it's like the scrawny piece of shit like that you know gets his ass smoked every day and can't do anything right that's up there on top of the berm just you know hit fire in the saw and blasting people like it can be the complete opposite. Like combat is oh, yeah. such an unknown. And I think yeah, every so. infantry guy wants to know that about themselves. Like, yeah. hey, how am I going to sort this out yep. when it happens to me? Yeah. Um, I don't think that I would ever peg myself for being, I've always been fine. I think I'm just emotionally shallow as a puddle sometimes. So I think it kind of just works <laughs> that way. It works in my favor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was like, for me coming back off of a year in Iraq and not even pulling the trigger on my weapon, you know, uh, it, that was like, a dis that was a disappointment. I was like, oh, I wanted to get my shabby. And we went into mm -hmm. it knowing it was, I mean, we got briefed at NTC and it was like, you're probably not going to get your CIBs. So we went into it knowing that it was going to be calm and um, that's exactly what happened. And like, it was a bit of a chip in my shoulder because I wanted that experience and I had, I had kind of accepted it, you know, which is probably better, I think for me to go into Afghanistan, like having accepted like, okay, I'll never get my CIB. I won't right. see combat. So I think it was better to, to go into it with a more matured understanding of what to expect. Than I'd it was say to you go made up like, for I want to get my shit. You know, I want to get my dick. Yeah. Right you made combat. up for it. Yeah. You made up for it more a thousand times over. I'm sure. <laughs> they only give well, you the one, other thing you know? is, you know, a good yeah, point exactly. made is just yeah. cause you're a, a guat veteran doesn't mean like you have any transferable skills to the next fight. Like yeah. the war on terror was like an exception for the most it was part. Weird. Yeah, it was like it you was know, like the redheaded stepchildren of war. Right. You know, we yeah. had such a technological advantage. Our tactics weren't very conventional. 
You know, yeah. you always had air to rely on. Like, and even from the air, it was different. Like the way we fought in the Apache, if we tried to fight the Russians like that, we get shot down in two seconds. Yeah, you can't you can't yeah. pull circles at a thousand feet for an hour over <laughs> over an enemy that has air defense radar. <laughs> yeah, well, people try to leverage that, especially now. You see it a lot with the, with the gap widening between people that have you know deployed and people that have not. Um, yeah, and they kind of. They try to let, like I said before, they try to leverage that. They try to, you know, your stock's running out, man. Like, I'm glad yeah. that you did all those things, but the mm -hmm. game's changing. You're right. Yeah. Dude, so, as I soon mean, as, like, some PFC goes to Ukraine and, you know, kills, like, 100 Russians from his Bradley, <laughs> our stories about dodging IEDs and Panzer oh, yeah. look like pussy shit. Like that's all you had? That's all you had yeah. was a couple of dudes over there, in their, you know, in their garb, freaking shooting yeah. at you from behind yeah. a tree. Yeah, we, we, like we joked that... Um, that we, we've been joking that when the shit kicks off in Ukraine, we'll have to take the podcast down. Because I'm like, you guys don't have war stories. You guys. <laughs> Somebody's going to be just, on TikTok. Yeah. It's like, you yeah. want to see what's about war stories? with some some 19-year-old from Boise fucking smoking a platoon of Russian infantry as they hard charge across the no man's land. And then he's going to do a vape ad. And he's going to do his... a vape ad. <laughs> <laughs> with his little thing. His Sponsored his, by Jewel. <laughs> That's how it is nowadays, man. These kids are they're plugged in. You, know? you got to do your dance. Oh man, can't do nothing. Can't do nothing for free. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Well, what's been like? I mean, since because you've been in the military long enough, and you were in the military in an interesting transition out of the GWAT into a non-deploying military. It's like, what's the biggest cultural shift and change that you've seen over the course of your career? I think it's the the focus of, you know, the the higher echelons of the military on um making it it you know just easier on people to do what they want to do i remember like no one gave a gave a shit about my feelings when i came in like i was like hey yeah i'd like to have this color hair like well i don't really think anyone cares what you think get on you know like in forrest gump what's he say like my name is forrest gump like, well no one gives a shit who you are puss ball get on the back of the bus like that's kind of how it was like me being an individual no bearing on on this train at all yeah um and now they have this whole people first thing and i'm not knocking it i think that that's a good resolution it's good to want to make people feel like they're important and it's good to um you know want to give people the whole rest cycle thing and give back to people that are worked hard and whatever yeah. but at at you know there's got to be a line the army's always been different it's not society yeah. it's the army exactly and yeah. the army didn't choose you. You chose to be in the army. So why do you want to come in and change all this stuff? I mean, that, that's a whole. That's a huge rabbit hole, man. Oh, but yeah. I think that's the that's the the biggest thing I've I've seen is that the army's more about catering to who's in it now, as opposed mm. to you getting in and conforming to what it is the army wanted you to do. Yeah, um, yeah, that's 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 bizarre because like like you said, when I came in, nobody gave a fuck where you're from, who you were, what you had going on, like. You like here, here, private. Here's a fucking saw. Carry it, you know. Yep. And that was Can you that do your was job? the culture. Do your fucking job. Yeah. yeah. And you know that's one culture change. So we have women in the infantry now. Mm -hmm. It's not a you know it's a topic a lot of people don't want to talk about or whatever else. Sure. Um, I have no issue with it. A lot of people were really put off by it initially, but mm -hmm. especially with my time when I went over and was a, a drill sergeant and stuff, I was working with a lot of females um, who were amazing. I mean, there's. There's a woman who's, I think she's like, she was like the first African-American ranger 
person or whatever that worked with us at uh, the Drill Sergeant Academy. She's like mm-hmm. the female David Goggins, man. Like this yeah. woman runs marathons and crap. And you're an infantryman that's fat and has been mainlining monsters all day. And <laughs> yep. you know, you've been on profile since the Clinton administration and you want to be like, there shouldn't <laughs> be women over here. <laughs> and the only thing tying you to a right to be an infantryman is the fact that you're a man. Yeah. And right. there's these women, you know, I can name two or three of them that are just outstanding NCOs, outstanding soldiers. If they don't know it, they'll tell you and they'll learn. And mm-hmm. they have every right to do that job. Like, so it's what you just said, Curtis. Can you do your job? Mm. I don't the care. The problem what you I are. see though is that when, you know, so if you can do your job, that should be the standard, right? Can you do the job? Can you meet the same standard? But when politicians get involved and they say, well, not enough women are meeting the standard. Can we lower it? Can we change it? And obviously the yeah. issue with the ACFT kind of reflects everything that's going on with that. But um, I, I'm, I'm with you. I got no issue. Too, if man. you're gay, <laughs> trans, a woman, if you yeah. can pick it up and carry can, it the same way that that guy can. Like, if you can carry it, if you can, if you can pull my ass to the helicopter when I've got a bullet wound, I don't, I don't fucking care. As long as you can do that, I don't care. we're good. Yeah. yeah. And the sad thing is there's, there are definitely women that can do that. And there's definitely mm-hmm. men who can't, yep. oh, yeah. but that dude's oh, yes. going to get his fair shake at the job before a woman is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah not no. anymore. So hmm. I'm sure it has its ups and downs, but from what I've seen, Hey, it's, it's no issue. It's not an issue. And good. Let's move on to something. That's else. good. That's good yeah. to hear. But that's good to hear that, man. Cause to answer your I feel like the, the old, the old infantry reaction to that is like, women can't be in combat. You know, like that's kind of like the, the standard go-to. So that's been refreshing. That's mm-hmm. refreshing to hear. Yeah. I don't think that's the case anymore. I really don't think this generation gives a shit, to be honest. They're just like, yo, I don't care who it is as long as yeah. we can. Mm-hmm. And people are still going to talk or say sure. what they want to say, but the detractors are, I think are few and far between for that stuff nowadays. Nice. I mean, and the real test is yet to come, you know, we're, yeah. it's happening during a peacetime army. You know, we're not going to know what the real dynamics of it are going to be until we're in the trenches of Ukraine or we're back in Afghanistan in two years, which we probably will be, or in North Africa or whatever. You know, the, we don't know yet. You know, maybe no. we're all wrong. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> oh, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be watching it fat from my couch, you know, kind of like watching the Olympics, <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're eating like a bucket of KFC. You're like, what the, I can't and believe like, these guys to point on that. What are they doing? What a piece of shit. <laughs> Can't land a triple <laughs> axle. Yeah. Get out of here. I'd do a quadruple at least. <laughs> oh, man. We, we sorry, went way off the rabbit hole there. I love I'm it. Sorry. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did way fault. down the rabbit hole. But yeah. Um, that's the biggest so cultural So you're getting change. ready to, you're at JBLM. Yeah. Um, so 2011. So I think 3rd Brigade is getting ready to leave. Uh, and at some point, you know, they're down there and you guys find out that, you know, you're, you're going to be replacing them. How did that kind of go down? Um, we came back from NTC and I remember, I think I'd mentioned it to you guys. Like, I was like, oh, we better do something dumb because we're going to get whatever we're, we kind of had whispers that we were going to Afghanistan, but nobody really, obviously there's no pinpoint location. We didn't have any intel on you guys at that point. But I remember thinking like, we need to mess something up because these, these mission readiness exercises, if, if whatever, however you stack on that thing that you're going like one guy is going to be guarding the ammo point and one dude's going to be in Panjway. Like, how do you want to shake it out? Yeah. So I remember thinking like, Hey, we, I hope, you know, you want to do well, but my God, I was like, I don't want to have a just ridiculous deployment. Um, but I didn't get my wish. And I remember they told us, Hey, you're going to Afghanistan. Um, but there, you know, I was like a specialist, I think 
I was about to be promoted to sergeant and um so I didn't I wasn't in the know the way that you are when you're a little higher up and you can hear some of the stuff and mm -hmm. but uh they definitely told us hey you're going here and then stuff started to kind of pour in um whether it's helmet camera stuff or just word of mouth is always the worst because it's always some e4 like dude did you hear I'm like to hear what like they <laughs> you know they, they literally someone was over there and like there was you know there's a gunfight and someone was in like a suit of armor and there was 44 people with with jousting rigs and you know what i mean just like whatever you can think of <laughs> right, the mindless yeah. you know this dude sat in his room for four hours the report was literally hey they took two casualties and he comes back and reports to all of us like you know they had yeah. a zeus and they were firing these rounds and these dudes were using shielding like you know like if you can make yeah. it up that's what they're thinking oh yeah. lord the chechens showed up with a zeus oh yeah in their track suits chasing us down with <laughs> do you know what i mean like it got out of hand but i remember seeing some of the videos from you guys and and yeah that, i started to started to have some interesting thoughts about it at that point i think yeah, yeah. it's interesting that we had that connection to where we we were able to funnel information back to you guys because like, we kind of went in blind in a lot of ways and i don't yeah. know if it was because the last minute nature of things or just whatever or maybe that where you guys were in the same you know, you guys were second ID too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe where the units had some, some cross talk or something, but it was interesting to see, like you guys got that information going in and we kind of did, but not, we didn't get helmet cam footage or, you know, no, no sat phone conversations. It was very much like, this is what's up, but we don't really know what's happening. Yeah. I don't know who was doing it. Um, I'm someone who can probably tell me after this, I'm, I'm sure there's, you know, but obviously I wasn't a platoon sergeant. I wasn't, I feel like you would know that if you were a platoon sergeant yeah. or PL or whatever, they knew. Um, but I remember going into the office one day and they had helmet camera footage and they were really talking about the terrain. Yeah. And that was kind of where our first sergeant who, you know, I'll, I'll talk about him more, but I, I think he really was like, listen, if you're fat, if you're slow, if you don't want to be a hundred percent committed to this company, Hey, we're making cuts because we couldn't take everybody. Yeah. Oh, wow. Part of that whole drawdown thing, remember? Like we couldn't, yeah. you still have to do the same job, but you couldn't take as many people. Wow. He's like, I'll leave your ass here. I have no problem with that because here's what you're up against. And there's videos of mm -hmm. you guys doing what we all do over the grape rows, just repeatedly eating shit and carrying all this heavy stuff and fumbling and tumbling. And then, you know, when you're tired and whatever else, then you're getting shot at. And we so, probably yeah, we were getting all that. Ass. <laughs> <laughs> you can't not like with, especially with that diaper on too and oh yeah fucking diaper yeah, yeah. you guys diaper like three day rock baby tank bouncing around your butt the yeah, infantry i think everybody was kind of doing that yeah you know everyone was like oh these guys are armored you know we'll be fine <laughs> i was like i, I don't know <laughs> i think they guys did a pretty infantry. good job <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were we were infantry damn it that was always a, a pet peeve of mine being in an armored battalion as an infantryman it was just like i'm infantry i'm not i'm not armor it, it's so silly like when i was yeah, a striker for a long time and then i did my platoon star time in a light unit and when i was getting mm -hmm. ready to go back to light i remember all these guys were like you're gonna have a tough time i'm like why am i gonna have a tough time tell me regale me with stories of when you were light and how awesome it was and how inferior <laughs> the other types of infantry are <laughs> and so then i got there and i'm like this is not no so i yeah it wasn't i mean it's hard to be platoon sergeant but it, i wasn't at a disadvantage because i had only you know spent most of my time in striker so <laughs> well right. you guys because you weren't at third id 
You weren't you weren't true <laughs> mechanized. Donut it's much true. at Bradley. I would Gutters. I would have come in limping if I was in the in the third ID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> third ID was was full of fat boys. There's some there's some chunky fellers and uh, well, mechanized infantry. There's fat boys everywhere. Let me tell you. It's true. Yeah. It's probably more <laughs> now yeah, that than, was, than door before too. Oh well, yeah, it's different now. But I remember, yeah, that was the thing. We got a lot of reports from you guys, but it was kind of hit or miss. But we we had a general idea. Hey, you're relieving these people, and I th- I would say that was about a month out. It was like okay. these guys, and here's the reports, and here's what you're going to see, and here's what you need to start training for. So, what kind of adjustments did you guys make? Yeah. Um. Well, for us, I'll, I'll start by saying we had a, a squad leader all the way up through about a because I was a team leader about a month prior. And then they swapped uh, squad leaders. Um, I don't know the the behind the scenes of it, but we got a different squad leader, and he was very um, like, "Hey, here's what we're going to train. We're going to train medevac. We're going to train um, how we're going to start moving on this." We had minehound guys, and that was something I've heard you guys talk about. We had kids who like, I think they did the forty hour course for the minehounds. That's awesome. You guys didn't have that, right? No, nope. They just kind of first time it. we saw a metal detector was in Kandahar. Yeah, yeah. We had these kids went and sat, and so we had a, a lot of them. And man, hats off to those kids. Uh, you know, I'll say a couple of their, a couple of their names: Claver, Glassy, um, Humber, guys that did the. I mean, that's a, that was a thankless job, man. So the, we started training all those things. We knew we had to walk in a file. Yeah. We knew we had if we took contact, you had to take a knee. Face, right. I mean, that's your option. Face your plates towards the enemy and, you know, hope you don't get freaking tagged while you're just trying to, but we couldn't maneuver. So we knew that. So we right. started to work scenarios for not, not maneuvering, um, which you guys know as like an infantryman, that's what you so do, hard to do. You know? Yeah. It's Everyone so hard is, to stay in a box and not move. Well, you spend your entire basic training, every drill, every battle drill is, you know, return fire immediately, seek cover and concealment. Like, all you can do is just the first one, like react to contact is one step and pant away. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, like you get shot at, you're like, okay, I'm going to run to that wall. Even as you're walking or whatever, you're like, I'm going to run over here. I'm going to run over here. And then, you know, I remember our, our squad leader Woodruff is his name. We'll talk about him more later. I'm sure he was like, no, I don't care what years is going on in your brain. Like if you get shot at, you can't move. Right. And then someone, you know, like, but what, if, no, there's no, what if, like mm-hmm. if you get shot at, you have to, Take a knee, face the enemy, fire back. Because that's what they want you to do. They want you to maneuver. So we we started training all that stuff, and that was all lessons learned from you guys. Yeah. We would have yes. come in just as blind had we, you know, not had you guys. So Yeah, you know, and we didn't we didn't know shit. You know, like we were talking about this in the pre interview. I mean, when we got there, we did the stupidest stuff for two months. We just you know, we we didn't have a good handoff with the unit before us and they weren't patrolling. So they didn't have a really good read on what the enemy was doing. And the enemy wasn't really fighting them because they weren't going out. So the IEDs weren't turned on. You know, the enemy wasn't out there because they were like, oh, whatever. It, it took them a while to realize that we were actually going out. Uh, so the IEDs just weren't on. So we're walking the roads left and right. We're running to cover. Like it, you know, it's kind of the, the tale as old as time. Like the, the old unit are idiots and the new one news, you know, we, we always, we know what's best. We're just going to do what we're going to do. And, um, you know, everybody's always wrong. Whether it's the outgoing unit, the incoming unit, everyone yeah. fucks it up. And that's always how you feel. You're like, these, no one shows up to the fight like, we're going to lose. You show up right. and you're like, hey, right. I know these dudes, they may have got their ass kicked, but that's definitely not going to be us. 
We are right. not going to be those guys. Um, and I think we learned the hard way, like right out of the gate. And I, I don't know necessarily that we did anything wrong. It was just, yeah. there was just you no help. smacked in the face with fighting season. Yeah. Like you walked right it in the middle. You didn't real. have a chance it to learn anything. It became very real very quickly. Yeah. yeah. So like, because it wasn't. It's not, I don't care how many times someone tells you. I don't care how many reports or videos you see. Until it happens to you. Uh, and I think, you know, obviously we'll move that direction, but like, it, that's what really galvanized the whole company to be like, you know, it was our first couple of bad days. It's like, okay, yeah, this is, we probably need to do better. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think one failure in that is that, um, the, the whole rip process was just, it's always too short. Yeah. Um, you know, they always like, oh, we're going to plan for a three week rip. And I'm like, great. We could take them out like five or six times. I mean, there's, there really should be more of an overlap than that. You know, there's, you can't teach somebody an AO, you can't teach them TTP, so they can't experience it. They can't know it, you know, just going out on two patrols, which is unfortunately kind of what you guys got. We had such an abbreviated rip. Yeah. Um, and even like, and you guys even got, uh, I'll, I'll just dog out the unit. We replaced our rip patrols with them were cheesecake patrols. We didn't yeah. know at the time, you know, we didn't know any better. But like, and, and at the time I wasn't very happy about it, but in retrospect, it was the right thing to do. Like Brian Kitching was like, take these guys into the fucking heart of Taliban country so that you guys can get shot at, you know? And that was, mm -hmm. so your rip patrols at least were, we, we got into some good gunfights on those last couple of patrols for us. So it was, it was a proper introduction. But, and I appreciate that because there's nobody trying to do a, a patrol like that when you got like six days until you're home. <laughs> oh dude like that the last firefight that i got into like 72 hours later i was on a plane in calf leaving afghanistan forever mm -hmm. yeah so you say that and in my head like that that's a very that's a meaningful thing man like that's a huge like boom like your life is different mm -hmm. and and a yeah. lot of people don't understand how serious of just like a mind twist that is to be in one thing one day and then a few days later you're like oh well on this Dude, plane like six, now. 60 days later, I was out of the army. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> it's hard enough. Like it, it, you need that week and a half, two weeks at calf or bath yeah. to just like get your brain back together, you know? Yeah. 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 But anyways, I'll, keep, I'll, I'll take my dick back off the table and put it back in my pants <laughs> and I'm trying to prove to everybody how much of a war hero I am. But I mean, but it's, you know, we, we definitely left, you know, in, in December being like it's it's theirs now we've shown it i mean we took them to sketcha and we took them to najat and we took them to salam khan like, you know we've we I, de I definitely say if, especially as short of a handover it was we were pretty proud of it um you know like luke said we didn't want to participate but we were proud of it <laughs> <laughs> well nobody like you can have the best rip in the world but if no one heeds the advice that you're giving it doesn't matter anyway yeah right and i think that you guys with some exceptions, at the level of soldier to soldier, squad leader, squad leader, platoon sergeant, platoon sergeant, you, you guys absolutely had our respect. Um, when you showed up, those of us that had been before, I remember me and a buddy Groomberg having a conversation. I'm like, these dudes look like they've been through the ringer. And so I remember G said, hey, man, like, so do you believe them? And I said, absolutely. Like, any mm -hmm. one of these dudes tells me what to do, I'm going to listen. And you guys were willing. Um, I can't remember who told me this. You guys were doing like some minehound lane. And we were talking about it and someone's like, well, what do you think about the Chia? And this kid turned like really quick. He's like, please don't use the Chia. 
you know, he was very like, this kid was such conviction, like, please, please don't lose, use the Chia, you know? You guys mm. cared. You guys gave us a rip. They were like, listen, you, you do this, you're going to get hurt. You do this, it's going to be bad. Like, yeah. you guys gave a shit about what information you were giving us. Mm. Um, and you weren't just waiting to get the hell out of there. Maybe you were, but it didn't come off that way. And there was a good deal of respect from, like, you know, warfighter to warfighter. At the higher echelons, I don't know whatever yeah. was going on i don't know how the commanders and whatever did but from soldier to soldier we appreciated you guys i know that oh man i appreciate you saying that man that 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 means that means Quite something bit, to yeah. me because yeah because we i think that was our mentality like we want we wanted to set you guys up for as much success as we could and so we, we were trying to drive that home um there's a a memory that i have <clears throat> damn i'm just I'm just whipping my little pecker out, just getting my little micro, <laughs> micro my, my micrometer out, just making sure it's out there. But there's a good memory I have is Nince, who was like the only surviving NCO from the original platoon. Uh, not, not literally surviving, but he's the only NCO we had left at the end of the deployment who either hadn't gone home or gotten blown up. Um, and it was that gunfight where we, where we started out on where you almost got shot. And, uh, he said right before that was kicking off, like everybody was sitting in their positions. We were hitting our, our feng shui and getting in our mojo. And I think maybe your platoon sergeant or one of your squad leaders. So like, these guys are fucking squared away. And he's like, and it's responded. These are the ones that have survived. Yeah. <laughs> that, so, yeah that's honestly how we felt. I remember that first patrol. I was watching because we weren't involved. You guys like right. put us in the middle. I felt about as close as to an enabler or a pogue as I could possibly feel. Cause I was just in the middle of this patrol. Hey, don't do anything. Right. You're just along for the ride. You are absolutely in the right seat right now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and we started moving out you guys were like, you're just tuned in, man. Everywhere we went, guys were just, it was like a very seamless thing. You know, you, you've seen guys do CQB together in a team for a long period of time and they get very right. fluid. Um, yeah. You guys, you guys had that. You guys were doing a solid job. You could tell you'd all been together a while. And uh, yeah, I definitely, I was a believer after that first time. I, hey, and, he, and my squad leader too, we were like, yo, whatever these dudes tell us, we, we need to soak up all this knowledge before they leave. Because right. once they leave, it's, you know, it's on us and we're going to have to figure it out. Any questions we didn't ask. So I remember bugging, I can't remember, the, I think he's been on your show, um, Hispanic guy, Saw Gunner. I can't remember Perez. his name. Perez. Could have been Perez. There's him or another. I can't remember. One, but I remember talking to one of that, those guys. Like, hey, what about this? Actually, no, Perez was gone. Oh, <laughs> Perez would have been shot. Never mind. <laughs> no. Perez got, Perez got shot yeah. in the arm two months No, it was, a, it was I can't remember this dude's name. If you were to say it, I would know. But he, yeah, I remember off. this dude came by our room and yeah. sat and was like going over maps and stuff with us and just, mm. yeah, you guys were very tuned in and very helpful. Not at all checked out like most folks I think would be at that stage. So. Mm. But yeah, we but. showed up and you guys all had boonie hats on. <laughs> oh man, I bet you, I bet your first sergeant was having an aneurysm. Yeah, <laughs> my first, my first sergeant had an aneurysm about a lot of things. But he's like, he, I said, so "How do you feel about these guys?" And he's like, "Well, they have mustaches and boonie hats." <laughs> that was. The I, don't, I don't know concern. what that meant, but I don't know where yeah. he was going with that. But you were an armored unit, and you did have boonie hats and. Well, the boonie yeah, hats actually was one, two, three. That was uh, that was the light. Unit. Well, I guess they're not light; they're striker unit too. But uh, and it, it'll be in. Uh, we we just did the interview with their com uh, battalion commander, but he his thing was like, I couldn't do much for these guys, but I wanted them to feel like they were different than everybody else because they were. Because every time they went to calf, all those all those people weren't doing shit, and I wanted them to know. And the answer if was they saw boonie cap. 
<laughs> if they saw <laughs> booty cap, they knew they were in Panchway. <laughs> so the unit I'm in or was just in now is like the jungle unit. So if you're jungle oh, qualified, yeah. you have to wear a boonie hat with your jungle tab on it. Nice. No, okay. I have a deep seated hatred for boonie hats. <laughs> <laughs> my old platoon could count on like four times how many times I've yelled. And the very first one that I raised my voice had to do with boonie hats. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too good. I man. don't know where it comes from, but I have this like deep, yeah, I don't like boonie hats. I don't know that's why they funny. issue them to us. Like, I mean, I, I love, I, we never really wore them, you know, like maybe like two feet from the, you know, yeah, the building to the defect. But I don't know, like, I don't have I'm no idea why they ever end up in a pack ass from frying up. It's true. Yeah. They probably added years to Luke's life so he doesn't get melanoma. He gets it, gets it at but 62 people don't even wear them. People like trim them. They trim them down. So like, it's not even covering your head. You look like Gilligan. <laughs> what? I've it's like really that. short. Oh, these kids oh over here. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> that jungle warfare. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, we've gotten off track again. That's um, okay. Well, this is yeah, my fault. I'm, I'm totally no, no, taking this down the road. That means no, it's good conversation. Good. It yeah. is. Um, so you guys <clears> got there, and I do. I really do uh, appreciate you saying that because I think that was what what we wanted to instill was like let them know what's up and and kind of like just set you guys up for as much success as we possibly could on our level. And so I like, mean, I have we, something to contrast it against. My first time was trash, dude. Like those dudes. Yeah. Like we were doing the handoff with those guys that that. You know, when we did it, it was trash. Like when we were in your position and then when we showed up, the people that we ripped with, trash. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, but we left and you guys inherited Sparingar. So it was a early December. Hard, I think it was hard, December 7th. If I remember Yeah, December correctly. 7th sticks out in my head. That's when yeah. we bounced. Um, or no, it was a little bit before that. It was a little bit before that because uh, we were home on December 7th. I think. Okay. So we would have been I like, don't know. Yeah. Early First week of December, <laughs> we, we bounced and, and you guys inherited it and uh, you had a fucking hell yeah time after we left oh, yeah. too. So well, let's, well, let's take a little deep dive into that and talk about those first few months at Sparingar and what it was like for you guys. Well, when we first got there with you guys, like I, you know, the rip patrols happened and there was a lot of weird stuff that happened on those whip rip patrols or or just the first patrols so we had that incident where i almost you know went to be with our preferred Jesus. deity and uh <laughs> and then one of the next ones we had an eod kid that was I, i'm pretty sure he was running around with sarn ho Got and he looked over the wall and someone shot him in the head yeah or in the helmet i don't know if yeah. it hit him. i can't remember if it hit him in the head it went in uh, between it, his like like you know, like how the the helmet hangs over your ears a little bit. Yeah. It, like struck the inside. Were you of guys helmet. still there when that happened? Luke was. I was, out on I, mean, the, I was, was still on there. The I just wasn't on the mission. Yeah. Luke was on okay. the patrol. Yeah. So that must have been patrol. during one of the rip patrols. Um, was, and then yeah. there was just little stuff. So then what we did was we divided up, and they had a pretty aggressive. So we we really wanted to incorporate the strikers. It's like a mobile support by fire platform. Why wouldn't we use it? Route Brown's right. relatively safe, so at least we can drop people off. Sure. Um, and we started doing that. Um, which I guess has ups and downsides. You drop people off, you don't, you know, in the middle of a road, like everyone's going to kind of know where they're coming from and can position. Sure. So there's ups and downs to everything. But at the same time, um, it was a quick way because ain't nobody moving fast in Panjway. You're just not going fast anywhere. It's just not yeah. happening. Um, so we started out slow and then obviously uh, 
you know, the first big incident was we had a big mass cow. Um, and there was little stuff prior to that, but first Sergeant omelet day turned into, uh, this several stage mass cow event that started very early in the morning. Hmm. Um, and I remember that day specifically, my platoon had gone to the DHQ. So we had like a, a DHQ rotation, but they had left me, my squad and my squad leader back. Um, mm -hmm. So I wasn't a squad leader yet. And, you know, basically our first sergeant said, hey, whatever goes on throughout the day, I want you around, be near a radio. I'm gonna use it for medevac. I'm gonna use it to run ammo. So I was just kind of floating. Like I wasn't going on patrols at this point. Uh, first platoon and third platoon were. So in the morning, first platoon had been out. They're coming back in the gate. And then we were going to push another. So what we were trying to do is stagger patrol times, um, push them out in weird ways, so like one platoon out. And then as soon as they're back, the other platoon heads out and all, you know, keep things moving and keep try to keep them guessing the best we could. Mm -hmm. So first platoon's come back in the gate and they're, you know, 40, 50 meters outside the gate, their frontline trace, and they get ambushed towards the rear of their element. And Sergeant Housel gets shot. So he's down in like the middle of the road. Um, you know, they get him out. First sergeant runs out and picks him up in a gator, um, which is a whole nother thing. The gator and the four wheeler. You could do a whole episode about that four wheeler and all the tragedy that befell oh. everyone with that four wheeler. That's right, because um, we got that right before we left. We never got to use that thing. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I can imagine. Oh, man. That, sponge I don't know and what, an ID magnet. I well, no, we didn't drive it in. We didn't. We were driving it outside, but you give a, a group of infantrymen a, a four wheeler with that much ass in it, yeah. and <laughs> and they're driving it at nighttime to do SOG rounds and shit. And oh God, yeah. yeah. It, it didn't run at the end of like six months. It had been rolled. People would hit walls. Like I mean, <laughs> that was just way too much ass in a four wheeler, man. I don't know what that thing was, but. Hmm. Yeah, our own first sergeant rolled in and got pinned, and the olive group guys came and were trying to help him, and he thought they were coming to, like, finish him off, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he would oh, use that for medevac. So he runs down the hill. I remember that morning was uh, first sergeant omelet day, and so he was in the chow hall with his gear stacked outside and, like, his embedder in his pocket, and he was whipping up omelets. Because, mm -hmm. obviously, awesome. he's got to be tuned in while everyone's in, you know, and that chow hall was nice, man. You guys yeah, had done it's we got, we got hooked up too it was nice, yeah. nice it, it wasn't it wasn't as nice there. for you guys as it was when we picked it up all i do i will apologize for that we didn't uh return well, to the same that whole base was, was nice oh, compared yeah. to like when you're living in like this little submarine room that whole like at least when you were on the you know spur one guard proper you were living all right yeah oh yeah 100%. so like how's got shot in the morning um oh yeah it was great man it was great so he got hit in the morning um and i you know, obviously not making any light of that at all. Like the guy got shot, but he was okay. Um, they got him out of there, um, got him up the the hill and got him medevac. But third platoon just kept on trucking. So they're like, all right, hey, Housel's good. He's stable. We'll get him in the truck. We'll get him in the bird and get him out of here. Um, third platoon, carry on. So third platoon was actually going out the gate. The two platoons were crossing when the ambush happened. Hmm. And so... They ended up getting back in and third platoon heads out. And I believe, um, I don't want to say village names in case I'm wrong, but I've talked to enough of them now and seen, uh, when I was doing some of the video stuff, I would see all their footage. 
And I want to say they went to one of the Loicolas, like Big Loicola or wherever. Is that Loicolet? Loicolet. Loicolet. Is it Reggae's to, Reggae's to the south? Yeah, if you're looking down route round to the right-hand side, that way. Oh, it'd be uh, uh, Pimaluke. Uh, Pimaluke. Could it's, no, if, it's, if, it's on the, if it's to the west of Spurwingar, there's Pimaluke and Dorzai on the left side. Of we did this Brown. the other day. Remember? I'm like, I need to look at a map. I didn't, <laughs> yeah. I didn't look at the map. <laughs> well, it doesn't there was, help with the village names change. No. Yeah, was no. a where good was, bit Well, it was the way. Sketcher. It was out towards where, um, going out towards Sketcha. It was like that direction Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, from Route Brown. So kind of the way that they did the winter road. Um, they were heading out that direction. Um, and so we had help with the medevac stuff. That's all done. First platoon's back. Third platoon heads out and they're, you know, Sergeant Williams is the squad leader whose squad is on point. Sergeant Scherter, I believe, was on point. Um, and they had kind of made their way into this village and noticed very quickly that there's no one there. Um, they're like, hey, there's nobody here. And I believe that the special forces group vocally prior to that, when our commander had said, hey, we're going to go here, he said, hey, something bad's going to happen to you. Like these SF guys are like, don't go over there. Yeah, And I think hmm. that they even told our XO too, like, I don't know what y'all are doing, but like, if you don't have a real reason to go over there, don't go over there. Like, there's no point. Mm. Um, so they did and they get over there and there's no one there. And I think that kind of happened, you know, that kind of, everyone was starting to get that, that feeling. Mm. And then we lost air support. Um, they had a break station. So I think our commander was like, yo, it's time to go. And as that was happening, um, that front element took contact. And I'm not sure if anyone was shot in that first volley. I don't, I don't think so. Um, but then Sergeant Williams had, you know, some of the guys pushing a direct, they were, they were pushing somewhere. Um, and he knelt down on an IED. Um, and I think that coupled with some small arms fire injured everyone, you know, his squad, I think it was like Scherter, Munguia, Noriega, a lot of those guys and Sergeant Williams himself were all injured. So that turned into a whole big thing, you know, and it sounded, I was back at the, the cop and, or the, the fob and first sergeant ran and grabbed me and he's like, hey, you know, the snipers are out with them. Um, I know you kind of used to do a sniper thing, grab whatever rifle they left here and you and Woodruff get up on the hill and just see what you can see. Don't shoot it, but just be up right. there helping report, you know? Mm. So if you see anyone massing or coming in, cause man, it sounded like, it, it was wild. The, the volume of fire that was going on from the onset, the initial volley, you know, there was lulls, but it was sustained for, you know, had to have been close to an hour, it felt like. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just going, like mm-hmm. one volley, two volley, like just back and forth for I don't even know how long. Um, and I know they were taking fire from like a gray putt, and I've seen some video where they were really giving it to the gray putt, and there was some air support assets that were hitting it. But they had all these casualties on the ground, and they can't get them out of there. Uh, they had called dust off and dust off. I think it was like, yo, like the conventional army folks were like, we're not coming down there until you get that LZ cleared, mm-hmm. which makes sense. I mean, you don't want to lose a bird, but right. I, I think Pedro, the story I heard was that Pedro, um, the sore guys and the PJs were supporting someone the next Valley over or doing something. And they heard it and we're like, yo, we'll come. If they don't want to help you, we'll come down there. Right. And so sure enough, like those dudes came in like 50 cow blazing, hopped out of the bird, shooting as they came out, like hustled down, helped these dudes. And, you know, I'm not sure the the gravity of the injuries of some of the other guys who were there, but, you know, they they got them out of there. So that's very, you know, it's helpful. 
Mm. And they gave Sergeant Williams a chance, at least at that point. Hmm. So yeah, that, that was that was that was within a week of when we got back. Because I remember hearing very soon that that happened yeah. when we were in, uh, in our in processing back at Stewart, and it it sucked, man. It really yeah. really sucked to hear that. Well, you always yeah. hear that with a unit that replaces you. You're like, oh man, I heard they just got tore up. Well, in our case, yeah, that that was a hundred percent a thing. Yeah, like our first that was that was the day I think that really was like, okay, um, we got to take a look at what we're doing obviously I don't, I'm not hip to the mental um you know what was going on with first sergeant or the commander or whatever I wasn't there with them but I imagine that that was a, a shift for them like okay right mm-hmm. we can't have this happen again you know yeah <clears throat> and how yeah, long before was, you guys uh, knew that uh sergeant Williams didn't make it so they medevaced him I can't remember the time. I remember hearing the call come across the radio. And from the time that I heard the call to, I don't know how many hours it was, but um, when I eventually came down the hill, the SF group came in and guided them out. I came back down the hill and my fr- platoon sergeant was the first one to meet me. Um, and the bird had been gone maybe 15, 20 minutes. So it was probably like an hour. He he told me, he's like, hey, Will didn't make it. Hmm. And hmm. you know, that's always, that's terrible, man. You guys have been there. It's just, yeah. it sucks. Like, Sucks for him. Sucks for his family. Like, there's yeah. no. It's not an easy thing. And it, what it does to the guys who are on the ground, like, it just. It's hard to. It's hard to bounce back. It's, it's one of those moments where you can go one way or you can go the other. And it's. It's where companies kind of get um, made or broken. Like, are you going to continue on? You going to hang your head, or are you going to move on and honor his sacrifice and get out there and, you know, start start jabbing again. When I, it kind of stands out to me because I mean, it took us, it was probably three months before we took our first. Um, and I don't know how yeah. differently we would have reacted if it happened right off the bat. Uh, it's, it's, a di- it's certainly a different a, dynamic. Yeah. That, you know, those, those are troublesome waters to try yeah. to navigate, you know. I mean, how, how did you get, how, what was your response? Yeah. Well, we definitely started, well, you know, you don't ever want to like, say that anybody made a mistake and i mean unless you're standing right there you don't know i don't know yeah. i mean I, I wasn't standing right next to the guy i don't know what will did um and he was a competent guy like you know technically tactically good solid leader um and it just happened and that was the thing about panjway that's so frustrating mm. is you can literally do everything right yep you can do everything to put the odds where they need to be and it, it just some days it just doesn't shake out like that for you because that yeah. place is just so relentless and random. But um, we started getting into, our first sergeant came up with this thing like, hey, if we're not gonna use any paths, we're not gonna do this, we're not gonna do that, because we're going where they know we're gonna go. So we're gonna start you know, eliminating the ability for us to get channelized and we're gonna start blowing holes in everything, which I think you guys had done some of. Yeah. Um, but we're like, no, that's not gonna be like, the exception that's going to be the rule Mm -hmm. so no more you know using any place that it's ever been walked in i want you to walk through the most austere shit i want you to walk through creeks i want you to freaking blow holes in the wall and walk through someone's cow patty or whatever like so that's what we started doing and i think later it evolved into we used a little bit of hard pack because you could see any type of ground disturbance yeah um, well, but that was you see like kids running back and forth across it. You're like, okay, I can probably take that short section of path. Oh but. yeah. And I'm not, 
that was always a rough one. You would see dudes do it and you just cringe and guys would wave kids over and you're just like, come on. You know what I mean? But like, if they're going to walk it, you can walk it. You know what I mean? Right. Generally. Yeah. Not the preferred, uh, SOP, but you know, uh, guys did it. They're like, Hey, if these kids, I'm gonna call these kids over. They'll walk over. I'll just walk down the alley. (laughs) Cause they know where everything is, man. Them kids know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Because yeah, t- Taliban tells them, you know, either they mark it oh, or yeah. they're like, hey, don't walk down the path on the west side of town. Well, they're fighting do that it. same coin thing. Like, you blow up a kid, Taliban or not, that that neighborhood's not going to be happy with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, a quick way sure. to lose So, lose I think that support. was the big change was, hey, we're going to start using explosives to blow into these other areas. And that way we won't be as channelized or, you know, at least we'll have a better shot of being more random. And that's the name of the game, right? Like they can't blow you up if they don't know where you're going. And that was what changed the game for us too. I mean, it had, it took us longer to get there. It took us a, it was a couple amputees, I think, unfortunately. Um, but it was the same thing. Walk in the hardest possible place. We didn't use explosives as much, uh, just because we, we weren't very good with them. So we didn't actually do a lot of making holes. We just kind of made dents in the side of things. Uh, but we used a hooli tool. That was our big thing. We always had, you know, a squad leader and you know, we'd get to a wall and he'd just rip it down. Unfortunately, we had some, you know, monster dudes that just loved getting the workout in. Um, oh, yeah. But it was the same thing. I mean, you just be unpredictable. You know, I loved walking in creeks. You know, true or not, in my head, I was like, hey, electricity don't work underwater, I, bitch. Yeah. H- you know? HME don't work when it's wet. Nope. Yeah. Right. So right. There's a lot of videos of me just calling back on my radio, like, hey, enjoy, enjoy this dip in the creek we're about to take, boys, because I would be on point, you know? <laughs> yeah. I just trudge through the 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 creek. I love doing that. People in the back didn't like it. But yeah, well, they didn't they they, they, they weren't the ones that had to worry about whether they were gonna get blown up or not. If you're if you're complaining and you're in the back, then hey. If, right, if all yeah. you are is wet, no big deal. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I can count on my fingers the number of patrols I came back from after we started that, that my feet were dry when I got back. And it's like three. <laughs> like on yeah. one hand, it just does not happen. Yeah. I mean, hey, it is what it is. You know what I mean? No big deal. But you're back. Yeah. That's you're exactly. back. Yeah. 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 Um. So that would mean that's, so you're making these adjustments to your, your TTPs. Um, how, and you're getting into kind of, I mean, you're in the winter, but fighting season didn't really stop, which is kind of unusual. Um, were you guys expecting it to slow down at some point or? Yeah, th- those of us that had been there before, um, most of us had been to areas that had snow, mm-hmm. especially oh, in the mountains. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. like that shuts shit down. Like they don't like being cold the same way we don't like being cold. So during the winter, it's, you know, it's a different ball game. Uh, so we expected, I, I remember telling someone like, hey, it's what, December? Like it, if it starts getting cold, man, we're going to get a little bit of a break. Because I think after that event, especially third, third platoon kept, they had a couple other, you know, patrols that were rough and they were starting to get kind of tired. Um, you could see it. Like I think they were, they were starting to get a little worn out. Everyone, I mean, you know that what that place does. One month there's like a year, you know? So mm-hmm. you're like, okay, the winter's coming, man. Month. I remember telling some people. Yeah, one hard month. Oh, shit, two or three patrols, and you're like, ah, dude, this sucks, you know? Mm -hmm. But uh, you get to see what people are made of, and you get to start seeing dudes quit or start seeing guys come up with real creative reasons to not be involved or whatever. But I remember telling everyone, hey, the winter, you know, and other guys too, hey, the winter's coming, like we're going to be, and then it just never came. 
yeah it just like kept happening you know yeah i mean i think that's the thing like uh going into that winter season like the taliban knew we were with we were going to withdraw down they knew that you know guys were going to start shutting down bases and stuff so i think they hung around even in Panjway, but we've talked to other guys who were there before, and they said that, that si- the fighting season was not really a thing in Panjway because there was no snow shutting down passes. The ridge isn't getting buried under six feet of snow. No. Right. Right. So, and that's where they came across. But, no way. Uh, yeah. So I think it just it always stayed hot there. but And I think because they knew the Americans were leaving, they, they turned on the lead faucet, if you will. They, they, yeah. they, they wanted to get in on the shit right before, you know, everything started pulling back. So... Yeah, that makes sense. Like there, yeah, there was no, there was definitely no distinguishable difference between the winter and the summer. Right. Mm-hmm. And as far as like the, the hot spots for you guys, I mean, I know for, for us, you're talking, you know, sketching a jot and Adam's eye to a bit, Lloyd Clay, uh, Salam Khan, you know, but I noticed in a few of your guys' videos, you guys were fighting in Pima Luke. So what were kind of your guys' hot spots? Cause that was obviously very different. From, you know, we never ran into anything in Pima Luke other than IEDs. Well, we, so, so we always heard about Sketcha. You guys talk about Sketcha a lot. And I think you took some folks there on one of the RIP patrols. I don't remember how that went. Was there any contact when you guys went on the first one? I don't think so. It was a different platoon that took them. And I think it was their, that was their overnight. They did an overnight Sketcha. Oh yeah. That was third They did, nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we started gearing up. This is how I could best explain it. We didn't have a per se, a, I mean, the whole thing was a hot spot. The, the, you had said Pimaluke, that was not bad initially mm-hmm. to that side of Brown. It was all on the other side. And right. so, um, you know, every major event we had was on the other side. So then we start gearing up for this winter road thing. Right. Um, where we're going to build this road through the middle, um, all the way from Brown out to Lake Effect. And, uh, we start doing these precursor patrols. Like, okay, we're gonna go check this area. We're gonna go check that area. Um, and we started getting a lot of contact. Well, then once that whole thing happened, everything shifted to the other side of Route Brown. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was a forcing function, if that kind of pushed everyone across Brown to where Pimaluke was. Mm-hmm. But I remember there was no issues on that side at all. And as soon as that whole thing was done, it was like every single person in the whole area went to that side Hmm. and that's where all the problems were well i mean what's interesting is like historically and we've talked to the units that were forced the canadians all the action was to the to the uh west of sparangar and they very rarely ran into stuff and sketch and a jot um so it's interesting that it for one nine month period like shifted over to the east um but it totally makes sense why it shifted back once you put that road in there because once you could drive a striker up the heart of freaking Sketcha and, you know, Salam Khan and Loikale, you know, that, that was, that had previously been yeah. on, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Just, there was just no way to get a vehicle back there. You could walk there, um, which is why we got fucked well, you, up there. Now you got a 50 and a mark, like right up in your business. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you don't got to be Stonewall Jackson to know that that's, you know what I mean? These guys, they're smart. The people down there Yeah, they are know smart. what they're doing. Like whoever you're fighting down there, they're not dumb. So like they mm-hmm. they know what's not in their favor. And trying to fight a mounted, you know, weapon system, cruiser weapon system, you're just not going to win. No. Sometimes they get so a yeah, hair we up their got, ass. We got that kind of that nod, like hey, this thing's coming, and we started running all these patrols to that side um, of the road, 
And that's kind of when, you know, our next major casualty happened was throughout that process was us trying to scout for where they're going to build this road, which I know they were talking about building that road when you guys were there. Yeah. Yeah. We were hoping they we were because that was that sounded we like a very, terrible mission. Yeah, we were we were we were sweating inheriting that mission uh, because it was going to be a bad one, and unfortunately, you guys got stuck with it. So uh, why don't you run us through that that operation, the Winter Road Op? Yeah, so we we got word that they were going to build this road, and. To start it, we just started doing missions to like kind of scout the area, right? And mm-hmm. that's when we ended up going into Sketcha and got we we thwarted that ambush. They were about to tag us. I think we talked about that a little bit, um, mm-hmm. and we spotted the dude. Um, but yeah, so you we, saw you saw him put his rifle over the wall, right? Yeah, we were we had walked up on the wall. We were trying to see where. First off, we were just trying to get a sense of Sketcha. Like, is this still a place that's going to jack us up? Because you guys had you know all these stories of the different troubles you'd run into there mm-hmm. and sure enough like we got to the edge of this wall we blew our way up to this wall and i'm just kind of scanning as you do and i see this dude just straight throw his weapon up over the top of the wall and it was super startling to me because you never have that much time yeah and it's it was very like that just doesn't seem right because i'm staring at this dude and so i said it out loud i'm like this guy has a gun like i don't know why i said this is stupid <laughs> i don't know why gun? i said that and my my squad leader is like we'll shoot him you know what i mean so i but you always have that thing like oh is it going to be is it like an amp are they just Uh randomly roaming around out there like what's going but it wasn't um so i I think i you know i was able to hit the one dude and then the helicopters came around and finished it and we left and the next week um or the next couple days you know we continued those types of patrols but we came up with the general area where we wanted to build this road and they brought like the arkansas national guard engineers out to do oh, it really? to like grade it okay and these poor right. kids are in like, this their... poor bastards in. <laughs> 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 these dudes i can still these kids are in like i i swear those kids all like they should get some of those nfl lawyers to make sure their tbi payments are straight because yeah <laughs> those kids yeah. were just running over shit wholesale on those in those dump trucks and freaking uh <laughs> bulldozers and like it wasn't no big deal for them but we were pulling security all the way out and at this point third platoon had rotated out to the dhq my actual platoon was back so we were doing patrols and stuff and uh we were on one side of the building road and then the other side of the road was i believe first platoon and we would just take over people's houses like as we would move like compounds smart way but to initially get our foothold we brought um some of the team guys some of the seal guys in and they're like mm. platoona like commandos like afghan commandos and when they landed they said that they saw just everyone squirt out of the different villages mm. Mm. and they encountered no contact like when they came in at all really yeah and they had like c-130s and they had everything that you would expect the teams to have yeah um and then we're just marching our happy asses through the freaking <laughs> but like you said though, they landed not on the stupid. building we're waiting for us you know no you know they're they're not stupid. And they know, they know who those that people are they know who the commandos are they know who the bearded americans are and they know that those those two come with ac-130s and they come with drones and they come with all the stuff that we don't have normally uh mm-hmm. that that doesn't surprise me at all they they knew who they were fighting yeah. So there was, they were bummed. I think the seals were bummed because they wanted to come in and 
fuck shit up. And just lay some scunning and getting a getting a a, a heater, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it didn't happen. But they were waiting for us in the compound. They had secured a compound. And when we got there, you know, they were they had like a water balloon launcher. They were they were they had a lot of cool stuff, man. Their snack game was like level nine thousand. <laughs> they had stuff from like Trader Joe's and <laughs> They were super generous. They they like paid the people for the house because obviously when we move into a house, we mess it all up, you know? Yeah. Living on the roof and whatever, disturbing the wildlife. But we moved into these houses and then they started building this road. And so every night you'd get into some sort of, there was just weird ticks all the time, like mm-hmm. harassing stuff. Yeah. Um, it'd be behind you, in front of you, whatever. And then every day we would just run supplies down the road from what it was built and you had to take a patrol out to the, to the road to pick up your water and pick up your food. And mm. it was supposed to be like three or four days and it ended up being like 11 days long. The seals There's were like, no- yeah, we're out for like two days. <laughs> There's no way that takes three days. Like I want to meet the, S- the no, S3 major that thought that was going to take three days and smack him in the face. It was like, you're fucking stupid. <laughs> nah, <laughs> you they, couldn't walk that just in three going, days, much less build a fucking road. <laughs> we were out there for a hot minute, like getting kind of, Stuff was getting weird. Like somebody found a dress at one point and was like dancing around in this. Because you're in these compounds like all night long. Mm-hmm. That sounds really bad. What I mean is somebody like had found an, a dress and was doing skits in this dress. And, uh, you know, guys got stuff tied around their heads. People are playing, you know, making friends with cats. And you just, after that amount of time, you know, if you're not up on the wall and some shit's not happening, you're yeah. out in sector for 11 straight days. It's just weird. Yeah. That's a that's the long haul right there, man. Yeah, for sure. People people were definitely getting weird. So yeah, but uh, yeah, we wrapped it up. That was that was the only time in Afghanistan I've ever been alone. I went on one of those supply m- missions to pick shit up, and the grape rows that we had cleared were marked with chem lights, and mm. I got lost. And so mm. everyone else went out to the road, and I was behind trying to get someone else. And I turned the corner, and all of a sudden I couldn't find anyone. So for like 15 minutes at nighttime, I was just by myself in the middle of this grape row. Fuck, Fuck that. Yeah, that was probably like the, I was a breath hold, man. I was like the, the most worried I've ever been. I was like, well, eventually yeah. if I just stay put, someone's going to find me. Yeah. I hope. Oh man. And then I have to see someone did else. You have radio? Like, what are you doing over there? I, I, I don't, I did. I believe I did, but I don't, I don't remember what was going on. I think I didn't want to tell anybody that I was like lost. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what was going through my head. I just know I was alone. Oh, oh man. So I don't know if this is it's an like, urban legend or not. I think I'm pretty sure it's true because it was one of the dog handlers that told me and they, they go all over and they were telling me this one company in the 82nd left a fucking private in a house. Like they had, they were pulling security and they were like, Hey man, watch your door. And this dutiful private was watching his door and his entire platoon left him there on the objective for like hours. <laughs> I could see it. And, like, yeah. Could you We used imagine? to have a kid. His name was Kim and he was from the Korean army and, and they're very disciplined soldiers. And we told oh, yeah. this kid to stay put one time and left and just went about our day, you know, and we came back and he was just still hanging out. In the same spot. <laughs> it had been that, like hours. That's how I imagine it oh. happened. Like this kid was just like, hey, yeah. Sarge said to watch the door. I'm going to watch this door. I don't know where everybody went, but I'm sure they're coming back for me any minute. Oh, now. yeah. Eventually. 
<laughs> eventually. So yeah, Man, that, that operation minutes. wrapped up <sighs> with no no major issue. But I yeah, that was the one time I remember being lost. And at that point, um, I had started a transition. I think it was right around that time that I had transitioned from team leader to squad leader. Um, and so it was, you know, things were starting to be. It was a little different deployment for me from that point on. I think, but the uh, the winter road thing, it, I think we were really lucky with that. That could have gone south in a lot of different ways and it didn't um and i think that's a testament to some of the leadership that we had um but yeah it ended up pretty it was uneventful i think it was a big event but it, it wasn't eventful as far as like anything kinetic or anyone getting hurt sure but you were saying during the scouting phase is when um sergeant chambers was hit right yeah yep um he he was it was a patrol where they were, again, they were, he was taking photos. Um, and I'll explain how I know this much about it here in a minute, but he, he was taking photos of the road. So earlier in the day, again, along the lines of one platoon, you know, the way we would set up is one platoon would be on QRF, one platoon was at the DHQ, one platoon was patrolling. So if you were on QRF and, and the other platoon would go out, it was your job to drop them if you could. And then you had to have your strikers staged back at the, at the, at Spurwangar um, just standing by. So if anything happened, if they got into some sort of burner out there, um, you're prepped and ready to go. So all your gear stage ramps are dropped and you can get out there on the road and help medevac them. Um, they had to give their, their trace. So you knew which way they went. So you could try to get out there to them or whatever. So that morning, uh, Chambers had come into my room and said, Hey, let me borrow your helmet camera, man. So we had like those, you know, after we had explicitly been told like 50 times, Hey, don't bring your helmet camera. Um, but he, he had the, the right side of the arc system and I had the left. So we would just switch them. Oh, okay. Um, so he took my camera and we dropped them off. And I, so I saw him as he was leaving. I said, hey, man, be safe, you know, whatever. And they walked out a ways. Well, he was taking pictures of the road of some of the previous, you know, the infrastructure that they were going to burn through to make this road. So, and I know all this because I, I you know, of course, after it happened, um, you know, you go back and look at the video because you want to make sure everybody did everything right. You want to see what happened. You know, you want answers because you're never, that, that sucks a lot of times to not know, you know, especially when it's someone like him who is, you know, we were tight, like me, him, and and uh, Adam Taylor had been together the first appointment, now this appointment. Um, so he was walking, taking pictures, and Humbert, his Minehound guy, was out there clearing, and they were, you know, moving through as you do and going through one of the great bros and, he had kept taking pictures like over the side of the wall. Well, they turn this corner um, and he kind of makes a call. Hey, let's go up over this. Um, you know, there'd be breaks in between the different grape rows and there'd be like a hard path that would go up over from one to the next. Goat yeah. path. Yeah, the goat path. And we had been using those predominantly because you could see those ground sign indicators, right? So if anything was disturbed, you would kind of know. But it's kind of a crapshoot because if it rained and it had... Um, that year you know you never know how it's going to be you just never know it's that's right. the way it is so him and humbert are moving and there's even a part where like dave calls out hey what's that is that a wire you know like he was on it man like he was tuned in they were doing it everything you could do and uh he went up over the top of that humbert you know went a little bit forward to dave because you had the minehound guy and then the team leader um so humbert you know went over it and probably two or three steps after that Dave stepped on it and it it knocked him back down into the grape row. Um, 
and they ended up getting him they got him out of there uh shampoo one of our eod guys like the first one up on him they treated him they got him uh stabilized as much as they could and they didn't there's no contact i don't i don't believe there was any like small arms at all um but they moved him back got him out of there um and the initial report was hey he's fine right so we get back to the cop and we're doing we're doing what you would do. We're like, oh man, now he's gonna have metal legs. I bet he gets to meet the first right. lady. Like, you know, <laughs> doing all the shit that you would normally do, like that type of humor that you how you yep. deal with stuff. And then first sergeant came and like, hey, get everybody in the atrium. And we're like, all right, whatever, you know. But we had really heard that he was straight. So we get back to the atrium and first sergeant's like, well, there's no easy way to say it, but uh, we lost chambers. So keep your heads up first platoon. I want to see you guys. Like he pulled them aside and dude, it caught me so off guard. Like I went back to my room and handled it the way you handle it. Like I had my moment. Um, but I was, when you expect someone to be okay and then they're not okay. Yeah. So yeah. And, and I lost it, I think twice that day. Cause they, like I said, we were on QRF. So when the, when we heard that there was a casualty, you don't know what it is. So right. I hopped up in the air guard, um, to get ready to go and my platoon sergeant was the last one out and he just yelled at me hey it's chambers and i don't remember i, I don't think he said i couldn't go or anything he was I, I just remember him being like are you good and i'm like yeah i'm fine i'm fine and then as i sat there for a minute i looked up and my squad leader who must have already heard it on the radio um turned and was like straighten your face up like it's time to go do your job straighten your face up you know what i mean like i don't care if it's your, if, that it's your buddy like you know what this is let's go um, and then I got out there and I saw Dave's squad leader, Cisneros, like he walked up to me and I just lost, man, I, I was trying to keep it. I, I couldn't. Um, so I got hit it for a minute, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm good. I'm good. And he said that he's the one that was like, yo, I think he's going to be good. Like everyone was kind of saying that. So to already kind of have your heart set on, Hey, we're not going to lose this dude. He's fine. And then all of a sudden it's like, nope, nope, he's not. Yeah. Um, and I think that was another one, man. I was super angry after that. I think a lot of guys were, cause it's just. I hate that. Like, shoot at us all day long, but the blow, the getting blow, because you have a shot, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah, you can shoot back. I know yeah. you guys understand that. Oh, but yeah. when, you, when you, the bomb thing, it's just frustrating, man. There's no one, to, you just can't, it's like a faceless thing to be mad at. Yeah. Well, and you, and you attach it to the entire population, too. Like, it doesn't matter who you see. It's like, are you the one that fucking put that bomb there? Like, to the point, like, and we knew that kids were placing IEDs, not to a huge extent, but we knew they were doing it. So it even makes you start to like hate the kids. And that's when it's just like, oh, man. That's dangerous, man. It's not super dangerous. You. That's how shit like Bellumbi happens, man. It's it's yeah. really, really, really bad. I oh, mean, yeah. that was the the invisible constant mental strain. Like I was, I was talking to uh, my brother-in-law today. Um, his dad's a Vietnam veteran. <clears throat> and he was, you know, and of course... One of the things that we do, right, we compare. Like, it's not as bad as the guys in Vietnam had it, or it ain't storming the beaches Normandy, so like it's okay. But one of the things, like, he was talking about, and his dad talked about, is, like, when they they laid waste like crazy, and if something moved, they killed it. But for us, it was that constant mental strain of, like, you know, it's, it's of the IEDs were always there. Mm-hmm. always and it, and it was a constant mental battle to navigate that and when you see the consequence of the IED multiple times over and you lose a good buddy to them or 
you know, you see your, your good buddy get his leg blown off. It's just like, you, there's nothing that can be done. You, you can't shoot it. <laughs> yeah. Like the infantryman in you wants to, wants to destroy the enemy, right? You can't, you know, even if you throw a line charge over it, no guarantees. There's, there's two responses. You either shut down and quit, which some people did. Yeah. Or you got better at your job, which is what the other half of the people did. You know, you took yeah. the lessons learned and you, you know, you made decisions like we're going to stay off these fucking paths and we're going to do this different. We're going to do the line charges. We're going to, we're going to invest in our soldiers. We're going to do extra mind hound training. We're going to ask the SF team to give us some training. Um, but there's no middle ground. Like there's no, there's nothing else. You, you get better or you quit. Um, yeah. yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot you could do. It's like, you have this inanimate object that just like, you're so frustrated at it, but there's no recourse. That's the worst, man. Yeah. You can't shoot a goose off at it. You can't freaking bomb it. You can't do anything yeah. else to it. It's just there. <laughs> You're like, yeah. You can. You can. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are a goose off team, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, towards the end. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Love, love that thing. Oh, the goose. God. The goose. The goose is on fire. Right, I'm going to crack this beer real quick. Sorry. Yeah, yeah really. Rip, rip, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but, so uh, that, that was like the last big casualty thing and like i said i i had shifted from team leader to squad leader it was like tuesday and i don't remember the reasons why but our weapon squad leader got sent off mm -hmm. and so they came um my platoon sergeant called me in it was like a tuesday and he's like yo dude um we're promoting you to squad leader and i remember thinking in my head like you know there's other guys sandy zuniga like some of these guys that are just as capable as me like why are you picking me? But I, but all that came out of my mouth was okay. You know, like <laughs> right. that answer. You don't, you don't argue with a promotion. No. Yeah. So I was like, all right. So I walked back in and my squad leader, who was now the weapon squad leader was like, yo, this weapon squad is locker now. Get your shit out of here. And I was like, oh my God, like get your, get your mind hound and your bats and hides all your bullshit out of my locker second squad, you know, or like whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I began worrying, right? And so I started, I used to have hair, man. I don't have any hair now. That's why I wear hats. But <laughs> I remember just sitting in my bed and the Canadians had written some just real sweet nothings in the top of my bed. There's some like raunchy this, shit on those books. Doom and gloom <laughs> yeah. about like, there's just like passages from like, God damn, dude. It was just, it was enough to scare you to half to death. Like right. weird Bible verses and shit up there that you're like trying, you can't sleep anyway. So you're just like, what poor son of a bitch put this thing up here? Yeah. But every night I, still I would love just worry, like the, man. The, 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 like the, they did a John Rambo quote in our platoon room, but they like totally butchered it. <laughs> like, yeah. like the Canadians were definitely wall artists. I'm going to give them that. We, mm -hmm. we couldn't get away with that shit. You get caught drawn on a wall. We're like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm so, I'm so sorry. Well, someone should do a coffee table book of like all the graffiti. There's that war shit. murals Instagram. Yeah. Someone should do that coffee table book of like the, all the dick art and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Because there's be some fantastic. wild ones, man. Oh, yeah. man. But yeah, so I, I, that whole thing happened. And I remember for a couple, for like a week, man, I was just worried. Every night I wouldn't sleep because now it's all me. You know what I mean? Before yeah. I just had mm. three guys to worry about. And so, yeah, there was times where, in, and I think I've talked, everybody I've talked to that's been there, you just don't want it to happen to someone else. If it happens to you, it's fine. Right. You're like, cool. Yeah. If I, if I Sometimes get you're asking for it. Yeah. yeah, I'm not trying to see everyone else get hurt. So like, if there was something I was unsure about, my mindhound guy, I remember several times I was like, "Yo, stay put," and I'd just walk over there. And I know I'm not the only one that did that shit. Like a lot of guys did. 
Cause you're like, Hey, we're neither of us are sure you're not, you're the mind hound Bubba and you don't freaking know. I don't know, but we got to go this way. Yeah. So we can either sit here and wait or we can just walk. And our EOD guys, Augie Ortman, Russ Ho, Shampoo, Abs, every one of those guys, every day was doing that same type of shit too. And I imagine that all of us were just super, you know, I don't think I was the only one with sleepless nights staring at all the Canadian wisdom on the wall. But <laughs> no. when I became a squad leader now, it's like, oh, I got this many more people to worry about. And mm. do am I doing this right? Do I know what I'm doing? Um, so I started to pay attention to things I had never paid attention before and Sure enough, our first patrol out, me as a squad leader, like I said, Tuesday to Wednesday, I forget the the bats and hides machine, which is all the commander <laughs> cares about, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that there's a lot of those types of mistakes. Just you don't know what you don't know. There's things you learn in the Army through osmosis, and you have to have yeah. the world happen to you. You don't just – you can't teach it. So yeah. there's so many days, I was like, man, I hope I'm doing a good job. I hope I'm doing this right but that made me hungry to not want to let anybody down and in the end i probably wasn't ready i tell guys that a lot and they don't like it i'm like hey you're not probably not ready to be a staff sergeant now and i definitely wasn't but yeah mm -hmm. um you get ready and in pansway you get ready real 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 quick real fast mm. yeah and we ended up being the only platoon that didn't take i don't think we had any casualties really yeah and that's like a testament to the leadership and the other squad leaders Verguth woodruff sergeant baker um and our first sergeant man like without those types of guys like around just pushing and pushing and pushing and never letting you be complacent and always making sure that you're paying attention to shit and mm. delivering it in a way that's like you know we're not here to baby you like we need you to do a good job so we can all survive and leave um yeah something to be said for good leadership especially in places like that so absolutely yeah for yeah. sure man so, I mean, how long so, after uh, the the winter road were you guys starting to get a timeline for when you're going to be closing down Spurwingar? Um, I, I well, Chambers' funeral was the first time that I heard anybody say anything about it, and it was General mm -hmm. Abrams, and he was talking about he had kept asking us as we were leaving, like we were all walking out, and he said, "What do you boys need?" And so everyone says the typical shit: forty millimeters, sir. I'm like, whatever, right? Uh, we need more of this. We need more of that. Someone said ice cream. Um, <laughs> but then once we kind of, we were the last ones walking out and he talked to us for a second and then I heard him make a remark like, Hey, that's, that's enough of this. Like we, let's, let's get this rolling. Um, so winter road was still, that was prior to winter road. Yeah. But then we kind of got the word, Hey, once winter road's done, we might be transitioning out of here. Wow. So, and then it all happened quick. It happened hmm. super quick. I think after winter road, I don't know exactly, but it was probably like a week or two three wow. maybe and we started shifting more obviously one platoon's at the dhq guys are starting to shut stuff down so guys started going through all the connexes and finding inventory and things and all the shit you do yeah um the worst stuff then, about being in the army <laughs> yeah oh, and none of that stuff's on the books it's like oh there's yeah. a whole like tool set someone left here in 2000 or whatever mm -hmm. that's not because all those contractors were there you know mm -hmm. so yeah we shut all that down and yeah, it couldn't have been more than maybe a, a month at most after Winter Road really? that we uh, pushed and we were wholly at, at Mossamgar and kind of wow. giving the front seat to the Afghans at that point. And how was that? I mean, well, like a, that's got to be a complete shift in how you guys were working. Yeah, Mossamgar was a whole different show because that was the yeah. brigade. Yeah. 
So they Gosh. shifted somewhere else. And I remember our first sergeant got tasked with like collapsing Mossamgar in on itself. Fuck. And he comes Fuck up one day that. and he's like, I found these kids that have been living down in this hut at the bottom of the hill since the deployment started. And they're not accountable to anybody. They don't need, they were supposed to go somewhere they never did. So like some kids showed up and got put in a room and then just never asked questions. <laughs> they said like, where's the gym and where's the chow hall? Yeah. And then again, no, we were just here. We're like carpenters or something. And like, no one ever came to tell us where to go. So, uh, we just been here <laughs> in my mind. I'm thinking of the scene in office space. He's like, what is it exactly that you do here? <laughs> yeah, that was it. And our first time, it's like, yo, like, get the hell get out the of here. Like, what are you guys face. doing down here? So he went down and was just finding, you know, there was just so much ridiculousness going on at Mossamgar. So, yeah, we shut that down and we started running patrols out of Mossamgar. But they were weird. It was never the same after yeah. that. I think Winter Road was the last big thing until the tail very tail end when first platoon started getting all that contact in pine luke that mm -hmm. was all happening towards the very end oh so that was after you guys had left it was a okay, weird, that makes like, a lot more sense in. then that makes a lot more sense why they yeah, would have been right we up gone. against Sperwingar because you were gone yeah we were gone and we had there was a lot of other weird patrols a lot of overnights and weird stuff we had done here and there we did an air assault 300 meters from Sperwangar into a field like, I don't know why we did that. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. But yeah. uh, nothing crazy. Obviously, you get firefights. That happens. That just becomes kind of par for the course. Um, but there at the end, it just all mellowed out. We went to we went to Mossamgar. We weren't going down in that area much other than to support the ANA. And those dudes were just getting they, – they would have good days and bad days. And we would just help run medevacs for them. Yeah. So a lot of our soldiers were getting live tissue training with the medics and helping pack gauze and mm. that was good for them but it was yeah. bad they and they were getting whooped on <sighs> i mm. can't even imagine man that was uh yeah yeah i can imagine especially to only have like that support gets <sighs> fucked up i can't believe it happened that yeah that fast. Was that's what's crazy to me like a month like it was month. quick yeah like I, I i have a video where we go back we only went back like once or twice, maybe three mm. times. We would go back to do overwatch because it's such a good overwatch position, yeah. right? Yeah. So we yeah. would go back there and do overwatch for other elements sometimes or whatever. Always random shit. Um, but when I went back, like they didn't have the power on. Obviously, they didn't have all the generators we have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we had taken that away. We'd taken the fuel pivot away, all the other stuff that was there. So they were just kind of chilling, man. And they were like surprised to see me in the building. I come walking up in there. You know, I have to send it to you guys, but they... Yeah, it was not the same. It had no. kind of lost that, like, Spurwangar was such a cool spot, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, they always like, say, like, when you sell a house, you should never, ever, ever go back and see the house again. Because, like, no matter what happens, whatever the, the new owners did to your house, they're all pieces of shit. They have no taste. And it's just it's just going to ruin that image of what that house was to you. Well, you <laughs> yeah. remember what you felt like those rooms that place became your home and that's a hard yeah. thing to explain to other people that have never been there but that's all you have like yeah it, it was outside the house, sucks you know mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i mean that's, that's your that's spot. always something that we uh like going back it's like walking back to spermagar there's like that magical line where it's for some reason 
for the entirety of the patrol, it looked like it was in the fucking moon. But then you kind of got to that magical line of like 500 meters and it started and to feel closer. And then it finally closer. starts to get <laughs> Yeah, it starts to get yeah. bigger and closer. And you're like, okay, I'm getting close. And like, you step across that threshold. It's like, I'm at the house. I'm at the mm-hmm. house now. It's all right, you know. And that place. It's when you, it's when you cross the, the hydraulic gate. It's the minute yep. you cross over the hydraulic gate. You're like, did that thing work? Yeah. I don't think that thing worked. I've got a picture of it working. Somebody deployed no, it on a on an A Humvee. That that sucker oh, worked. Just smushed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we. I think I don't know if you guys did it. I think you guys had the crow up on top of the hill. Oh yeah, I forgot while, right? about that. I don't think that. It yeah, worked. it was. It was not on a vehicle, right? It was just yeah, like it's a on crow a tripod system or some shit. Oh yeah, I forgot. I did forget about that. That was yeah. one thing I forgot that we had done towards the very end there. We got. We were always tracking in placers because we had the raid camera and the blimp. Uh-huh. And the uh-huh. freaking blimp, man! You could—I've never been micromanaged on a patrol like I was when they installed the blimp. <laughs> man, You're we, getting radio we were, calls. We were getting and, hey, told to roll our sleeves down. Yeah, same shit. And like, how yeah. can someone see me right now? That's what they're worried about. Mm-hmm. So we we could, we were finding these emplacers, and I remember our our FSO Lieutenant Stucky was giving them weird names, and he's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, he was like, oh, I saw Tyler today, or I saw freaking steven or like he like he gave them and so there was a list of their names and the routes that they would do <laughs> and so we were trying to shoot them you know they would always try to shoot the guys once they would see that they were really doing what we thought they were doing you get confirmation right. they would try to mm-hmm. shoot them so they put a mark up there first and that didn't work well i mean this dude like i remember seeing the footage this dude was like trying to juke the mark um and he did like he made it out of there so oh, they yeah. finally put the mgs up there with the coax uh-huh mm-hmm and one of them little tanker bubba's marty was just dispatched that coax is freaking ruthless man that's, <laughs> that's, that's funny it's shit. the coax, coax and not the main gun that was smoking people dude the yeah. coax because that's just like a like a hose of bullets out to like what oh, man 12 15 yeah. 1600 meters yeah the coax will do good uh, the coax does the lord's work when you know what you're doing oh, with it. and yeah. he he did and so every day you'd see like tyler or billy or whoever freaking fall off the the chart in the top because <laughs> marty'd be out there catching them you know being about their business and then sure enough and you just see marty in the chow hall you know that's how i imagine those kids are now with the drones right it's just super impersonal like oh yeah you know oh yeah between lunch literally the guy murdering more people than anybody else <laughs> yeah. on the entire deployment while he's uh catching up on his anime and building his gun oh yeah <laughs> but yeah that was probably that was super cool that was something I forgot about when you were talking about some stuff that had changed. That's something we did. Try to get rid of those emplacers. That's yeah, funny. I mean, that's, you, had line, you had line of sight. You could see them. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's, that's the thing need. that's really striking me about the difference to, differences between our deployments. It's like we couldn't see them because of the, because of the undergrowth and the brush and the, the tree foliage and everything. We didn't see anybody. I mean, I saw like four, five, six dudes the whole deployment, you know. Like, you know, and, and, and I would say out of those, like most of them were uh, muzzle flash. Yeah. yeah. The actual dude themselves. Yeah. We definitely flashes. saw people, man. There's a lot like guys were able to, and it's, it's helpful. Cause I mean, if you can see them, you can shoot them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's the benefit guy. I mean, guys were, guys had some pretty, yeah, they, they put the hurt on him. I remember somebody hit someone with a two Oh three round at one point. I think he straight hit him with it. I don't know that it actually detonated. Yeah, it just like doesn't he, need he to. Hit him with it. 
Nice. Yeah, and I remember being like, "That's a that's fantastic." That's one you tell the grandkids about. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. 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 For get sure. that on the <laughs> you need to get that. But the thing is, that never happens when you're wearing a helmet, Cam. You know? No. Yeah. And it never happens on purpose. You know how you no. get with that thing. You just fling it up there and let it go. And if it, oh yeah, Thump. if it does Whack. what it wants to do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we the foliage never came back for us, man. By the time yeah. we were gone, because let's think, December, January, February, March. Yeah, we were. And we came back towards like the summertime. So I would think that, yeah, we never made it back to that. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So you guys came back in, uh, what, June or July then? I think so. I want to say it was the summer. Everyone else left. There was a handful of us that stayed back. I was on trail, like trail kind of. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the guys were back already. Um, mm-hmm. And then we got back and that was a, just a weird time, man. Like I, I remember my first appointment, I don't remember there being such weirdness, but we came back and there's like other, just people were being weirdos. Like there's other units that were like, I heard you guys didn't do anything down there. And like, what, what is that to even say? Like, what does it matter? You know, yeah. like what is, why are we having, or guys were wearing memorial bands for dudes in our company, like guys I never even seen before. Mm-hmm. Like it gave them yeah. some sort of street cred maybe. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. not cool, man. I've seen that. You know what that, I mean? That, oh yeah. Yeah. I've, that, that was a very similar thing to what we had to deal with because we were we were one company in our battalion yeah. that was detached and we were attached to two ID, so we were in the horn getting into it and the rest of our battalion was just chilling a calf. So we it, we would it would see that we actually saw a dude that was chilling a calf the whole time that had all our KIAs tattooed on him. And I'm like, what on earth, man? It's, it was just so weird to me. I mean, we had our braces. And he probably too, had I mean, some weird oh. story about how he like met them at one. Like, there's always a story, but it's yeah, super it was, weird. That's a super weird, weird thing to flex on. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a there was a pretty distinguishing moment for us is during reintegration. It was right around the time that we heard about you guys losing Williams. Actually, it was that week. Um, mm-hmm. But it was right before that, and and we were doing reintegration. Everybody was waiting on buses or whatever the thing was. And uh, the whole battalion was out there, and a transformer exploded, of all the things. Yeah, so like the, the transformer the in the middle of the uh, middle of Fort Stewart. This transformer explodes. Sounds like it, you know an IED going off, basically. So like all of Bravo like ducked down, and everybody was like, <laughs> everybody's ready to roll. And the rest of the battalion was sitting around there, fucking looking around, wondering what had happened. But all of Bravo hit the deck, and that yeah. was kind of like. A little bit of icing on the cake. You know? All, all yeah. experiences are not equal. Yeah. No, and it's and it's okay that they're not. And equal. that's okay. Yeah. Totally no two fine. deployments are created equal, man. They're all. Well, you didn't do anything. Nothing. Nothing about your your merit or or whatever landed you in a place like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. This happens. You just got chance. lucky. Got yeah. lucky. Yeah. Yep. I remember you guys. We had that formation. Do you remember we had a formation at Spurwangar when we first got there? Like a change Kinda. of responsibility or something? Yeah. Whose idea oh, yeah, yeah, was yeah. that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> and someone started shooting in the middle of it. And, and a lot of you guys were like, I mean, you guys got that. You, you acted like people who had been being shot at for freaking however long. And I remember that was my first thing was like, oh, man. like That's when I first started to see. But it was the same thing you said. Like, you know, one group had not been through that yet. So we're just like, what's the big deal? You know, and then you guys were, you know, damn near all on the ground, basically. Right. <laughs> yeah. Let's get yeah. on the walls. It's kicking off. 
Because <laughs> even if you if you felt that before, if it's not something, you know, it's just like riding a bike, man. Like you get away from it. And that's why I was kind of glad we got into that tick on that first patrol with you guys. It's like, oh shit, it's out of the way now. Yeah, yeah. it's done. Yeah. It's and good. in the best way possible too. Like you're oh, in a yeah. compound, you have the high ground, like you've got birds. Over, well, like we didn't have birds overhead at the time, but like no. we have like three sixty. That was security. an ideal way to kick it off. Like if, oh, you know, yeah. except for was, almost yeah. dying. Like, yeah, that was probably, uh, well, uh, yeah. Other that. than you, you and Curtis <laughs> both almost dying. Uh, Curtis cut mm-hmm. a close one too. Like right before, no, it's been after, it was after, after yeah. you almost took that one to the dome. Uh, Curtis was standing up scanning like a pro and all of a sudden, <laughs> whack out. Hit the fucking wall right next to him. Zip right, right over his head. Me. Yeah, I was like, dude, are you all right? <laughs> I had two dudes, are you all right, in that, uh, yeah. in that firefight? <laughs> well, that that was a classic case of like, yeah. senior ice, you know? Like, this is, I think oh, it ended up being one of my last bad patrols. Senior ice. Like, I'm just, just like standing stand up, up out of here. Full profile. Oh, yeah, there's that guy over there. Just walking back and forth instead if of like, you, you know, would have hit it on that last one, man. That's just mean spirited. You know, right. <laughs> and it was one of the few times those where last like, ones are a breath hold anyway oh man but it was one of those few times where like there's times where like the platoon gets shot at and then there's very few times where like you got shot at when it was definitely completely oriented at you and that's a different <laughs> it's, a, it's a sobering experience yeah. oh that's a much yeah. different feeling yeah, You're like, oh, well, we are getting shot at as opposed to I am getting I, shot at. Getting yeah, shot exactly. At. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like they, they, they are shooting at me. They're not yeah. shooting at us. They're shooting no. at me. Yeah. It's a very different, yeah, they're very different feeling. The, the end of it was just weird in that way. The whole end of the appointment was weird. We had a big, there was a big investigation. You remember that Porta shitter that was on the top of Spurwangar? Did you guys have that? Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. up there. Mm-hmm. The world's most dangerous porta potty. <laughs> <laughs> but if you, unless someone was literally standing at the foot of the mountain, There's no shooting at it. you, yeah, no, it was so far outside the effective range for any weapon systems they had. Well, we had a kid who claimed he got shot in—I don't know if it was in or in the porta potty. Yeah, um, he was a kid from like our battalion sniper section or something. Um, and I'm not going to say his name, but he, our first sergeant called it the so-and-so shithouse shootout caper. <laughs> shithouse shootout. <laughs> and he swore that he got shot. You know, we knew one thing. He did. He was sniper qualified, so we knew that he got shot by a sniper. Um, but it really, he had, end, I think he had ND'd his nine mil or something <laughs> into his leg. Ooh. And so CID came and was taken, like, they cut out the... So you went up to the shitter and there was like a hole cut out from where like the round. Yeah. So they cut that out and they were like, had people up there scrounging, trying to find the bullet and like, yeah. Wow. That was weird. I don't know what happened there, but <laughs> there's no way anyone accurately engaged you on the shitter yeah. at the top of that hill. That's, Just that's maybe if like they brought in like the Chechen sniper who placed gold in the Olympics in 1984 and has a, you know, <laughs> and, and he's sprinting and he plunges it up on top of the hill somehow. And they <laughs> <laughs> <It> gotcha. <laughs> but that, that oh, happened. Man. But then, yeah, the we got back to people weird, man. I, I rolled up on a kid who had a memorial bracelet on for a, one of the buddies. And I was like, Hey man, like, and he gave me this big story. Yeah. I deployed with him in Afghanistan in 2010 um we lived we did i'm like oh, that's funny man because me and me and that dude lived in like the same eight person room i don't remember you living there yeah yeah <laughs> just some weird ass story dude like and there was a lot of that stuff and then your mm-hmm. typical people buying nice cars and getting them towed and 
all the good stuff that happens after your deployment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Get some war voyeurism and some uh, high interest rate Camaros. Mm -hmm. But it was weird, man. I was, and I don't think it ever hit anybody how much it was kind of us until we went to the memorial service. So they dedicated, they have like the unit memorial and it has everyone they've lost. You guys probably have that down there with the trees, right? Yeah, we have the trees. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same thing. So they were doing, they were putting new names on the memorial and it was like just us. Yeah. I think there was like a little section from the engineer company because some guy, there was like an explosion in the ammo point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In Zangabad. Yeah. And it yeah, blew, the guy blew himself up in Zangabad with a hot plate. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know what he was doing with the hot plate and the ammo point. Yeah. That's, that's, I think you guys had a guy talk about that already. The guy from the AMU. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he talked about it. He was oh, just as confused as the rest of us, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh, man. But yeah, they that's when they told us they're like, Yeah, you guys were like eighty percent of the casualties for the brigade, man. Yeah. And I was like, hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, that good was, to know everyone else had a good time too. Yeah. yeah. I mean yeah. that was uh that was Panchway. It was a unique fight, man. I mean it was it was a unique place. Um yeah. it, it leveled a lot at the dudes who were there and it was. It's uh. It just kind of had its own its own flavor, if you will, of fight. Even for, not just Kandahar, but like, you know, just like uh, Afghanistan, but Kandahar specifically, and just just different down there. Weird, weird place. Well, I mean, it kind of became yeah, the I'm... last fight in what I would consider yeah. the original OEF. You know, yeah. after after that, it kind of transitioned to the whole ISIS thing, and there's all kinds of cool stories about that. But as far as like our our war against the Taliban was pretty much over in 2014 and the fight yeah. in Kandahar is the last bastion you know we'd pulled our marines out of Helmand we you know we'd pulled back from the Kunar we didn't have all these tiny remote outposts anymore we were fighting from fobs like it you know Pan- Panjway 2012-2013 was was the fight last hurrah yeah yeah um, yeah I don't, I'm not I wouldn't be in a hurry to go back there anytime soon <laughs> I, I would go back if I had a hundred percent guarantee that I'd be okay stomping around. Yeah. If I had a million dollars cash guys, and the only thing I was you allowed see those to dudes that... go back to Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. maybe one day that'll be a thing, man. Like like Afghanistan in the sixties and stuff when people used to go there for skiing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I hope. Exactly. I mean that'd be great for the country. Yeah, um, fantastic. I mean I'd I think if you went with a deep enough pocket, back. you could go back. With the Taliban, yeah, you could probably go back right now if you wanted. Absolutely. To. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. About fifty thousand dollars in your pocket, you can go hire your own Taliban security. They'll take you wherever the fuck you want oh, to yeah. go. Wouldn't that be weird though? It just so, seems so I'd, weird. I do it in a heartbeat. That context. I do it. It's so strange, man. If any, if anybody's watching and they want to like waste like a hundred grand on like possibly getting me <laughs> killed, I will. I will go. <laughs> I will go and do an interview with a Taliban commander in Kandahar like next week. But someone else just take a wagon of Coors Lights and go <laughs> yeah. traipsing around the country. Boys, <laughs> don't know what you've been missing out on this whole time. So I, I, I'd be okay with smoking hookah and uh, just grabbing a couple block uh, buds off the weed plants along the way. But <laughs> yeah. it'd, it'd be wild. It would be absolutely wild. Even if you did it in like a neutral location, like Dubai, to sit across from a Taliban fighter, be like, Panjway? Oh, 2012? Panjway? Oh, okay. All right. Of course, they wouldn't know what 2012 is. Like no, the year of Allah's second prophecy yeah. of whatever. That's right. You could ask them about all the times they missed you. 
well, how'd you miss? You're like 50 meters away. I want to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You were 15 feet away, dude. You had a PKM. I wonder that a lot, dude. I, I want, I wish I could ask him like, what were you, were you even looking? Like, were you, where were yeah. you doing? <laughs> so, so I mean, the, cl- the closest call that I had was no shit about 15 meters away. And the dude mag dumped a fucking PKM on me about hundred rounds. Belt dumped. I, belt dumped, I guess. <laughs> yeah. He, he belt burned. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, how, how did he miss? How did he miss? That was always my question, man. Like, and they're getting after you with a PKM. You're like, this is, I, I would be hard pressed. Like the further away and the more random I am with a saw, the more people I'm going to hit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how are you not hitting me? Like, unless you're trying not to. <laughs> I think the only thing that saved me that day was that the wall was just a little bit higher than he could actually see. So I think Maybe. he wasn't he wasn't able to get down behind the weapon. I think he just kind of laid it up on top, which is a common yeah. tactic for Taliban: lay it up on top and spray. The the individual skill of individual Taliban fighters was pretty low. You know, they had some yeah. some strategic help from another country and other countries yeah. that were involved, and they had you know big money at their leadership levels. But like the dude like toting that PKM around ain't exactly uh, you know Chris Kyle. No. Yeah. Yeah. And you never That's know true. the state of their equipment either. Like, no. <laughs> China, did you Chinese guys have, you guys made, have the Dragonov uh, rumors? There's always the rumor that somebody had a Dragonov. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, cool. Well, I hope they do. But if they don't have an optic for it, like, <laughs> it's just a gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, we had M14s and people shot that like it was a freaking single shot uh, AR. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, we, we're not can, any better. If, there's so people do so much like i used to say that a lot like any pizza is a personal pizza if you believe in yourself (laughs) you you can you can turn anything into anything so if the Taliban wanted to make it happen they could make it happen oh yeah absolutely i don't know i guess we just got lucky so yeah you came back um and how long was it before you started to to tinker with the idea of you know doing a documentary or documenting the experience in some way so that was pretty much right away I had an idea because my first tour, I was like, man, someone should make a movie about this. And uh, I think like in the middle of my first tour, Restrepo came out. Yes. And so then everyone, you know, you know, you know, someone's been to the Korngal, they'll tell you like a vegan (laughs) or someone who's into CrossFit. So like that, you know, that was a big thing, like the whole Korngal deal. Um, And so then I, you know, I'm like, hey, if I ever get to put again, man, I sure would love to make a movie about that. That would be cool. So as soon as the deployment was over, I kind of put a call out to the boys. I was like, hey, if you guys got footage or whatever, like, let me get it, man. I'm working on this thing. I'm going to set up some interviews. I'm going to follow my brother up here. Um, And we did. We sat down, shot all the interviews. I got all the footage. And then people started posting all the same footage on YouTube. Yeah, That was like the first hiccup. And I was like, wait, so we're going to watch this movie. But everyone's already going to have seen this shit on like Funker or whatever. Like you're going to know. You know what I mean? Like. It's not anything new. So that was the first thing. And then we worked on that trailer. My brother Dylan and I made it in like my mom's living room. And we pushed that out. And that got a lot of like really good attention. I was like, wow, this is, people like the style that we did it in. It looks nice. And the footage was all, it was only like three people, that footage. It was like me, my footage, Claver, Mitch Watts, um, Gallardo, maybe some shit from Lizaraga. Like, I don't remember. But a lot of these dudes had put their stuff in there and that was probably the most interesting thing was getting to, I had to sit through hours of footage. 
Yeah. Hmm. Because as people would like to believe, it's every moment is just like that moment. No. No. You don't get to see the 49,000 other boring ass hours where someone's picking boogers or mm-hmm. it's a lot of grunting in pain. Oh, yeah. like a lot of people uh, like, going over a wall or <laughs> it literally that's like all it was the diaper came in handy because at least that way you knew you know you're like i can just like put this thing between me and this wall and i can get stabbed in my taint by like anything that's on this wall yeah. like there's, you know so yeah the documentary i started weeding through all the footage watching it whatever um and then my brother had some other stuff to do, so I kind of took it on my own. Um, and I was getting close. I was like almost done. And then I got tagged for drill sergeant. And I don't think I did anything but drill sergeanting for Lord knows how long. Um, and then I got tradition. back to it. Yeah, as is tradition. Yeah, you have to, you must, you must lead the young soldiers. Um, and so then I started slowly chipping away at it again. And I don't know, it just wasn't, materializing into what I wanted it to be. And I think a lot of people wanted it to happen. People would always ask me, like I, I mentioned, I'd seen Captain Kitchen at a bar in Columbus when I was in SLC. And it's like, oh, I remember, like we, we were chatting about it a little bit. And it's like, a lot of people really wanted you to finish that. And I kind of explained it to them why I didn't. But as it did come together, and obviously it didn't have all the post stuff, there was no music, there was no like, everything that you would have done once the basic outline is there. Mm-hmm. Um, it just wasn't good for lack of a better word. It was, and then it wasn't. And so right. my perspective had changed. Um, the way I felt about the experience had changed and the way that I felt like it should or shouldn't be everyone else's business. And so when I started going through all the interviews, initially I was like, man, that's trippy. Like that dude said that that's really going to, people are going to like that. They're going to, that's going to stick, you know? And now I'm like, nobody needs to hear that. No yeah. one needs to hear about that moment. You know, that was a very personal thing that happened with this guy or the other. And if it sounds like an excuse for not finishing a movie, you know, maybe it is. But there are f- several finished versions that don't have, you know, music and stuff over them on my computer. And I just was never happy with any of them. Yeah. I just never felt like it was something anybody needed to see. And now we've been, the market is extremely saturated with that kind of stuff yeah and why was our story is how is our story going to resonate any differently than some of those other ones and then you guys came along which answered that question like well maybe i was wrong (laughs) like maybe 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 i should have got you guys involved and we could have done this whole big you know but uh essentially bringing light to that area and and the things that happened there whatever it wasn't meant for me to do it you guys have done a great job. So, I mean, I, I don't think that it needed to be anything more than something that's now forgotten on my computer. But if anybody wants it, uh, then come to my house and we'll drink a beer and watch it. Yeah. I'll take you up on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that Anytime sure. you guys want to come to Hawaii, man, I, that's not a hollow promise. You come out and crash. Oh, no. Kauai. I don't know if I could possibly, <laughs> uh, possibly stomach that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I never finished Alaska. it just because it just wasn't. There wasn't anything there that, that needed to be out in the, in the universe. Yeah. So I mean, and honestly, this is something that Curtis and I have talked about. Like from from the documentary storytelling perspective, it's like it's it's weird and that Panchway doesn't lend itself to that format very well. Because you know, there wasn't like the the battle 
that made shit happen. There wasn't like the Operation Anaconda or whatever. It was just like it was that grindiness, you know, like the grind. And there's there's nothing about the grind that makes it a dramatic moment. It's not me. sexy. There's no there's no climax to it. Yeah, there's no yeah. It wasn't sexy. No, it don't got yeah. mountains like the Korangal. You're not you know. It, it just isn't. It's not like, yeah. you know, Black Hawk Down or anything crazy like that. It's just really exactly. dirty, really flat, really ugly. But everyone that's been there, like you could walk up to me in a bar and be like, yo, dude, where'd you serve? Whatever. And we both say Panjway. You and I'll probably talk for an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. And it's unique like that in that it enough people have served there from multiple countries, uh, multiple units, but it's still small enough that like, I don't know. There's just so there's funny. a really deep connection, and the only thing that kind of I that I've seen is close is like Helmand, um, like Marines that have served in Helmand, um, the Brits the that British have served folks, in Helmand, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the Canadians. My God, if you if I were to go to any bar in Canada and say you served in Panjway, you're drinking for free. I mean, almost guaranteed. I mean, it's like you know, Panjway is their Vietnam. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. That shared hardship element, man, like. It doesn't matter. That'll unite anybody, man. That's been you can be all different walks of life. If you've been in that one place and shared those same things, it's just universal. Yeah. Well, and I and I appreciate what you say about the, you know how how a product can be. It's very personal. Um, you know, and it's something we've we've talked about. You know, we vowed early on like this. This was the vision for what we were going to create. We weren't going to let anybody else dictate what it was going to be. Um, and people tried, you know, people tried to edge their way into it or, or, or turn it into something that, it, that we didn't want it to be, um, you know, such as expanding beyond Panjway or, you know, talking to this guy or talk to that guy. Um, but at the end of the day, you got to, you get, there's a vision. And if it's not your vision it's not what you want to make, there's, there's not anybody that can force you to make it. Um, so I, I mean, I appreciate your conviction there that it's, it's not what you wanted it to be, and now it's it's, it's yours. It always is, it always belongs to you. It doesn't belong to anybody else. Mm. Well, you guys have done a great job. Like you're you're def, you know historians, whether you like it or not, that's what you are. <laughs> right. So you guys have done a great job cataloging the experiences of look at all these different people you've talked to. Shit, mm. man, Rusty Bradley, like that's the guy. Like if there's a name yeah. that that is tied to Panjway forever, it's that man. Yep. Yeah, uh, so uh, the joke that he's know? he's the demigod of Sparwingar. He <laughs> is. <laughs> he is. That dude is like you know. There's no one that doesn't know what that guy went through, and like as far as like in this circle, yeah. so you guys have covered you know everyone. And you guys have done a great job. So there's no. That's good, and it's out there in the world. Now it's on the internet, so people can learn about it, and that history is preserved. It's important stuff. Maybe not to everybody, but to those of us that have been there. Yeah, very important. And the way I so, see it, it it'll. You know, I think there, there was a there's a moment. I think we we timed it perfectly when it was really important to the guys that served there to talk about it or to reflect on it, especially as you know yeah. Afghanistan fell apart. But I think there's going to be another moment, ten fifteen years from now, when you know those guys as kids are old enough to understand. And when you're forty five years old, how do you best explain to your fifteen year old what it was like? Um, you know, hopefully it's as easy as just saying like, "Hey, man, like." My experience was different. It was similar to these guys. This is where I was. This is what it looked like. This is what it was like to serve there. And I hope that that's something that we can contribute, you know, whether in the podcast or, you know, the book that one day we'll possibly write. But, and you know, I hope that you don't give up on telling your story entirely uh, as well. I hope that there's, there's a format and a way that you can continue to do that. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that'll ever if that'll ever be a thing. I have my feelings about it now, but yeah, I absolutely. just I was bummed that it, I know a lot of people wanted it. So like I know I'm sure it, there's some hurt pooties out there when I said I wasn't going to do it. I, people <laughs> were like, I had some people hit me up. Like, yo, bro, give it to me. I'll do it. And I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> Hell no. I, I don't want <laughs> You know, how many more bad company remixes are you going to put on top of some combat footage? <laughs> and that's the end of it. <laughs> I'm down, man. If that's what you want to do. But we, we, that ship has sailed. Oh, man. Yeah. That's why I was glad that you guys, you know, the, the music at the beginning of your podcast about that guy, it feels like it's about his grandfather. Um, you know, that kind of stuff and being insightful and everything. That's more the speed everyone needs, man. Don't do the same shit over and over again. Like, do some some different stuff. You guys did different stuff. And if people want to do that, fine. But, you know, it's just a matter of telling a story in a way that people are going to want to pay attention to. And you got to reinvent that. You can't, like, mm-hmm. you know, just do the same recipe over and over again and hope it's going to work. Journey yeah, did that, though. <laughs> That's true. I feel like Journey did that. Uh, uh, uh what was the the original singer for Journey? Steve Perry. Blank. Steve yes. Perry. Yeah. yeah. And then you see you got you got pre and post Steve Perry. Journey, oh yeah, because right? pre Steve Perry, they're like a prog rock band. Yeah. yeah. So like or like that first album from Journey, it's it's so fucking good. That first song of a lifetime. They got Ainsley Dunbar on drums. Greg Fuck Rowley, yeah. the guys from Santana. Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. a great album, man. Yeah, it's a great album. You guys should do a music podcast. I would listen to that. <laughs> it would be quite diverse. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. We have Curtis's terrible musical tastes because he has the whoa, musical whoa, taste of a 13-year-old who hit puberty in 2007. What's your go-to <laughs> album right now, Curtis? What do you What do you got spinning uh, on the old MP3 player? <laughs> so actually, I've been getting into uh, – I used to – I was really into emo. Uh, you know, that's, that's still kind of like my, my go-to genre, but – um, I've kind of gone back and started listening to some of the harder bands I didn't listen to back. It's like Pierce the Veil I've recently gotten into. Uh, it's not a band I normally would have been interested in. But um, and there was, a, there was like a band called like the Amityville something. I can't remember what they're called. And they were pretty good too. But kind of screamo Getting metal back rock. into the old, the old stuff. Yeah. yeah. I have like my I taking said, back uh, Sunday car rides every now and again where I'm yeah. mad at my dad or something. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the first concert I ever went to was a Taking Back Sunday concert. I hate when people get mad at somebody. Like it's like someone's like, "Well, you're putting ketchup on that. Like you're not eating it." It's the same thing with music. Right? Like, hey, <laughs> who cares what I'm listening to? Then don't freaking listen to it. Like if I want to yeah. listen to country or I want to, I want to listen to Eddie Rabbit or I want to listen to Pierce the Veil. Like who cares? Right? <laughs> More power too if you're doing all three. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's you should experience all kinds of music. That's a, I've been rocking on uh, a dude. He put one album out. His name's Willis Allen Ramsey, and he put one album out in the seventies, and it's kind of got this country folk vibe to it. And he wrote the song um, "Ballad of Spider John." Spider John was a drink man, long, tall, and handsome. Yeah. Then he wrote "Muskrat Love," which America did a cover of on one of their albums. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've been digging on that. That's kind of where I've been lately. There's a lot you're, like, you're like the indie kid of like the early 2000s. It's like, you've never heard of them. There's, there's you've never heard of them. I like them before they were famous, before they're, it's just their early stuff. It only came yeah. out on seven inch. I, I like this guy before he was never famous. 
Yeah. yeah. So he never even got famous. That's the ultimate flex. <laughs> he yeah. never even got famous. That's <laughs> yeah. a good one. <laughs> this guy always sucked and he still sucks, but I'm the only one that knows about it. That's right. Yeah. Oh, man. That's too good. Yeah. My wife always says the drunker I get, like the older my country music gets. Oh, hell That's yeah. That's true. 100%. Yeah. 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 There, there's definitely a correlation between sobriety and the music that you choose to listen to. It's There, yeah. there should be a study on it. Yeah. Oh yeah. How many beers does it take to get the shooter Jennings? You know, <laughs> <laughs> ten to twelve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When when Merle, you know, when I listen to Merle, so do my neighbors. So <laughs> yeah, be careful. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Well, Kyle, the way we usually close these things out is uh, kind of give you a chance to say anything we kind of missed. You know, we. We definitely went all over the spectrum. We covered every tangent possible, and I think we did a pretty good job of covering you know, your guys' experience from start to finish. But in case we missed anything or if there's anything on your mind, the floor is yours. Um, if I could say anything, I, I want to say that I want to thank the leaders that we had when we were over there. Because um, you do that. You say thank you to them when you leave, and they get a little plaque or something, but the the guys that modeled inspirational leadership for me over there and the things that i saw and the things that i saw them do day in like heroic ass shit like all the time you know what i mean that's overlooked because it's just so normal yeah. um the platoon sergeants you know like chris sellards our first sergeant uh first sergeant thomas andor you know like those guys setting the mold for what senior nco should look like wiley ba- baker don register you know what i mean like all those guys were I don't know. I wanted I, that's how that's how I began to see what a senior NCO should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my fellow squad leaders, you know, Josh Varaguth and and um, Matt Baker or Baker rather, Matt Woodruff. Um, all those guys show me what it's like to be. And I keep I use this word a lot with my guys: an inspirational leader. Mm-hmm. And to like, you know, you can tell people things or you can use your rank or you can do whatever, but there's certain people you just want to follow. And there's like this weird thing. You can't put your finger on why you want to follow them, but it's because they're doing things and they're not asking for any credit for it. They're, they're, they're helping and they're, they're always putting themselves second. And I don't know, it's just a weird intangible thing, but when people have it, they have it. Yep. Yeah. And so I, I, I want to thank all those guys, um, for what they did to keep us all safe and what they did or didn't do or what they did or shut down or whatever because you don't know what's going on behind the scenes but i feel like there was a lot of no here and there to keep us safe Mm -hmm. um so i definitely want to thank all those guys um and then i want to thank you two for what you've done with this whole deal Uh, i'm glad someone did it and i'm glad it was you guys and like i've said before you guys have done a great job of representing not just the enlisted core professionals but um panjway veterans and given a platform for people to come on here and talk and this thing's this is therapeutic as hell man like you guys could start a counseling service at the end of this thing where you just have people come <laughs> on here and ramble <laughs> but uh yeah i would say that's about it thanks to all those guys and thanks to you guys for what you've done with this and uh i don't know that's about it well we, we appreciate it man yeah, yeah that, that means so. a lot that's 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 the reason that's why yeah. so really appreciate you coming on and and I'm, I'm, I was glad to get some insight on, on y'all's deployment because we just, other than what we heard those first few weeks after we got back, we've not really been able to connect that thread of the story 
to Spermangar. So appreciate you shining the light on us and fuck yeah. man. Sorry you guys had to inherit it, but it sounds like you did you did Someone what you could with it, it and <laughs> somebody made it work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right on. All right. Well well thanks for your time, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of season three of the Panjway Podcast. We appreciate you sticking with us all the way to the end of the episode. But just one more thing before you go, please hit the like and subscribe button and make sure that you are following us on our social media.